0: It's about freedom for life. Food and nutrition. Why is this such an important topic to talk about?
1: Well, unlike the previous issues that we have discussed, like the government and money, those are items that we can live without. But food is a fundamental part of our lives. You need it to survive, you need it to live. And in the current environment that we live in, it's toxic. The food industry is toxic. When you go into a grocery store, every 90% of the food in there not only is bad for you, but it's actually dangerous for you. And I think we want to make people aware that you have to really focus on what you're putting in your body if you want to be healthy.
0: Eat with intention. Yes. Yeah. And how many people are at that understanding where you walk into a grocery store and understand most of that grocery store is poison and that it needs to be avoided. It's uh, And what we're talking about today is hopefully increasing your level of knowledge so that you can just be conscious when you're in a position in a place like a grocery store and be able to make at least somewhat educated decisions upon what you're eating. Or when you look at that nutrition label, just seeing all of those those chemicals and the the artificial sweeteners and the the horrible things they are processing these foods into into being mm-hmm. and completely removing us from our natural environment and our natural connection to the food that we eat and we wanted to do a little bit of a preamble here because we understand as you you were saying that that food is a very personal thing because we all have a very uh, tight experience with it. It is something we all require and it's something that we all consume and operate with every day. And that makes it an incredibly powerful thing that a lot of people completely underestimate the impacts that it has. That taking care of your physical body profoundly impacts your mental health and spiritual and all of these other bodies that you possess, other than just the physical. And that's important to understand. It's also important to understand. We'll talk a little bit about how your DNA, you are not tied to your DNA, your genes, as they, they want to label you with diseases and convince you that you will have this disease for the rest of your life, that this is something you are stuck with, where in reality we are learning that that you are adaptable. You can grow, you can evolve, and you, you can become better.
1: I agree. And uh, then... I think another thing that we also want to put in our preamble is that we are not advocating for any specific diet. Um, I think the purpose of this, I don't think, I know the purpose of this podcast is just to make you aware of the food that you're eating, it, the diet is a personal choice. Uh, something I that highly... is the main
0: goal. We are going to promote a well, whole food we plant are based gonna, diet. We don't are, don't but... roll it back here. Yeah, you're gonna we're gonna trigger people if they listen to it and are of different persuasions, but that is part of what we've been doing here is go, are, we are going to provide evidence for that later on as to why that is the way we
1: eat. Well, that's how you and I are currently, but even I don't completely follow a whole food plate whole whole food plant-based diet. I diverge off of it every once in a while. You know, it it is what it is. Um I still eat cheese once in a while. It has gotten I have decreased my amount of dairy products i don't eat meat of any kind as and jacob has been vegan for seven years and his teeth aren't falling out and his skin is fine and like when you watch those videos of people who have been vegan and then eat meat because their teeth were falling out and all that well
0: well people are always saying oh just give it a few more years wait till you get 10 years in wait till you get this number of years in and then you'll start to see all the issues with it i'm still waiting for that day to come uh which Let's. I, I think we should talk about some of our personal experiences with food. Do you want to go first, or I can go first? You can go first. So, like you said, I, uh, you know, we grew up eating just like everyone else. Yeah, junk. It would. It would be on. You could argue it was on the poor side of what people typically eat. But I'm also not naive to how horribly people eat. People are eating just sewage every single day in extremely large quantities, and that's why. You know, I understand what you're saying of Of people will eat differently and we have to be like the focus of this is first identifying the poisons and what we should all mostly agree on. Like most of what we will talk about is stuff that every person needs to agree on. And that it is killing us uh, the processed, horrible foods. But a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is also just personal experience from having Become vegan and just watched it profoundly change my life. And I am tired of all this crap. Of you know, when we talked in the the educational podcast, we talked about how the elites educate their children to teach them that their firsthand experience, their firsthand knowledge, is above all else. And so, my firsthand experience in this life in this world has been that eating plants can heal you and profoundly change your life and not only have I seen it for me I'm watching it happen to you and I watched it happen to my cousin Anuma and seeing that happen over and over and over again I cannot I I know this is not something that I you know that's why later on you know I did some research into the the scientific uh, justifications for why eating a plant-based diet is is better we'll we'll definitely go into things the psychology of carnism and all that kind of stuff but Mostly, I'm going to be just talking out of my own personal experience and what has happened in our life. And what was my experience? I had the experience of I was eating like everyone else around me and I was extremely obese and unhealthy. And so what did I decide to do? I decided to just change everything because before that point, I had I was on all I did all the things. I had tried the calorie restriction at the time. It was paleo. Paleo was the hot thing that kind of evolved into keto. And now it's carniv carnivore, carnism, carnivorism. Uh, but I tried those things and none of them worked for me. Uh, I, I think I had lost like 30 pounds on a, just counting calories, calorie restriction, but I very quickly just gained it all back. And I felt horrible when I was at that lower body weight because I was just, I just wasn't eating. I wasn't feeding my body, feeding my body nutrients. And one issue that through talking to Anuma and having discussions with, I realized was an issue that I had to deal with was that, you know, as a fat kid, I think it's less now because, unfortunately, childhood obesity is just becoming so common. It's not even something people really even notice or pay attention to. But, like, a couple years, you know, seven years ago, ten years ago, it was uh, being a fat kid, you were still... People wouldn't say anything to you, but you were treated differently still. And which, in my opinion, is even worse because adults would have attitudes towards you, and the thing that I'm really learning and working through now is understanding how many things as a kid that you feel, but you can only really later comprehend it as an adult by looking back on it, and so as the fat kid, especially from men, I was always receiving this kind of like slight, this lack of respect because, well, you're the fat kid, and I realized that part of what (laughs) drove me nuts is that... (laughs) I did overcome that. I overcame that, lost that weight. But then it became, well, I'm still going to disrespect you because it was the way you lost <laughs> weight. It was, well, okay, so you overcame your biggest obstacle in life up to this point. But now I'm going to sit here and ridicule you and uh, put you down rather than build you up because simply because of how you did it. Because that is not normal the way you did it. And there must be something wrong with that if that's how you did it. And I'm realizing now that that, that really did uh, bug me. That really had that really took a... I don't know, it's just that... But that's how people are. People are always there to tear you down. They're never there to build you up and to support you on that journey. They're only ever there to ridicule you. That's what, as we talked about in the school episode, that's what an institutional education system creates. And I have a couple of good examples of this, uh, or just funny examples. Like I remember... A football coach telling me, you lost too much weight, you need to gain weight. And I remember, <laughs> like, that's the last thing on earth I am ever going to do, or I'm ever going to uh, even attempt. But then the funniest one, and I've been kind of uh, waiting to tell you this, because I don't think I ever told you, I think you'll get a kick out of it. But uh, I had a, a morbidly obese health teacher. And I after I had lost a bunch of weight uh, going vegan, I remember... Uh we had a school blood drive and at the time I didn't really comprehend why she did it, but now I know why. She took me down and personally took me to the gym to have my blood tested before you give blood, because they test, you know, they test you to see if your iron levels are good and whatnot. And I know that she took me down there personally because she wanted to see that there was something wrong with me, that my iron levels were deficient, or there was some reason that I couldn't give blood because I was a plant-based eater and I had lost a bunch of weight, but there must be something wrong with that. And there wasn't. My iron levels were fine. They were actually fantastic. There were just, <laughs> again, this five-foot-two, morbidly obese health teacher, she herself was trying to ridicule me for the way that I had lost weight. And... It, it was just uh, it was just it's just crazy to think and, and look back at that stuff. But I'm so glad I did it because not only did it impact me, but it impacted all of us. Yeah. uh, We all slowly began to change our eating habits and it has only ever just slowly changed and more and more and more over the last seven years. And we have more and more drift out of that norm of eating this processed garbage sewage into actually paying attention to what we eat and what we consume. And yeah, so I I think that was pretty much all I wanted to say with my personal experience with food. I'm 7 years in, I feel fine and honestly the 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 best part is I've only gotten better and better as I, you know, I like my cousin Anuma she she lost damn near 200 pounds and she she took that off in like one big go. I didn't do that. I was a much more gradual, you know, going down 50 pounds, setting a plateau. I lost about 100 pounds in total and it completely changed my life. And I want I want people to, to understand that, that, that you can change that. And one of the biggest things was, again, that I had tried a lot of the other things and at some point I just said, well... I'm just going to flip this whole table over and just try the exact opposite of the way we're eating because, and this is one of my gripes when people talk about the processed food, is they leave out things like meat. Like, like I can count on one hand what I ate when I was an obese kid. I ate meat, white flour, sugar, dairy, cheese mainly, and white potatoes. That was what I ate for all my meals, a lot of it deep fried and yeah, I had sugar on there. A lot of the sugary treats, a lot of the you know, just those kids snacks, the the horrible things they're selling you on TV and and you're feeding your children. Uh yeah, do you wanna go? And I'll think about if I had forgotten anything.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes, I did feed my kids all that garbage. I apologize. But I've learned <laughs> But this and is I don't important, feed that to them But anymore. this is important to understand
0: that no, I know. it's not only your fault that this is, like, and you have, like, parents are feeding that to their children, but also who is teaching the parents yeah, how you yeah. feed the, your kids.
1: And it has been a learning process, a big learning process. Um, for me, my experience is a little different. Um, I... <sighs> I don't know how personal I want to get into, but last October I kind of had epiphany that in order to spiritually and mentally heal myself, I had to heal my body. So starting it's now November of 2023, this beginning of this year, the end of January, I decided I was going to just start eating whole foods. Not necessarily plant-based, but just whole foods, which means I went in, learned the ingredients, what I could eat, what I couldn't eat. And I have, I'm not going to lie, a couple times I've stepped off, but every time I have, I noticed huge differences because when I first started t- eliminating processed foods out of my diet, it was almost immediate how much better I felt. Like I was, I just physically and mentally felt better. And I was just shocked at how quickly that happened. And the couple times I have gone off, it, it shocks me how quickly I started feeling like crap again. Like, oh, I don't want this anymore. And I've gotten to the point where I even, don't even remotely desire any garbage because I know how it's going to make me feel. For me, it wasn't so much about weight loss, but I have lost over 50 pounds in the, what, 9, 10 months that I've been doing this without even trying. Like I, I mean, I exercise every day, but I don't, I don't count calories. I don't watch what I eat. It's just coming off. Um, my other purpose for doing this was my husband, Jacob's father, is diabetic. Heart disease does run in his family, and since we have done this, he. He's about 70. B- I mean, he eats whatever I cook. He, but has, a,
0: he has an odd diet. He has a very odd diet. Either completely vegan, plant-based, or the, uh, pizza complete opposite. with yeah. pepperoni, pepperoni and cheese. cheese. Yeah.
1: But pepperoni is really the only meat he eats anymore. But even in that time that we've been doing this, the last time he went to his doctor, his sugar levels have actually dropped, and they actually had to adjust his medication. And it was kind of funny because when the doctor asked him what he was doing, he said, well, my wife's put me kind of on a whole food plant-based diet and she had never even heard of it. Yeah. So that, you know, speaks volumes. But that has been my motivation behind it. And now that I have done it, I just want to tell people, you know, look, there is an option. <laughs> there is an alternative. You have a choice. You have a choice to do. and. And. We have older people in our lives, particularly Jacob's grandmothers. His one grandmother is not doing very well. She's diabetic. Her sugar levels are all over the place and she chooses not to do anything about it. Her diet is horrendous. I mean,
0: at some point I was going to mention it. So let's just say right now of of two of the people I know, the grandmothers are actually the worst eaters, yes. which I take is because they were they were kind of in that first group of being sold the, the, the processed food lie of like this is more convenient, this is faster Mm -hmm. this is easier and it's better for you Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is a it is kind of an odd thing that that they are two of the worst eaters and it's just I I, I think it's because they were some of the first ones in where it wasn't even like a question thing of oh is this bad for me it was only later on did we really start to look at these foods and see how horrible they are for Mm us
1: there is that and plus we look at your aunt. His one aunt drinks an awful lot of Diet Pepsi. Like that is the only thing she drinks and drinks copious amounts of Diet Pepsi. And she's having all kinds of neurological issues. She's, yep. you know, and we'll
0: talk about aspartame. Yes. You cannot leave out <laughs> yep. aspartame.
1: And it's, though you know, those things. And all you want to tell them, it's as simple as changing your diet. And I know it's but it's also as hard as changing your diet because we do. We become very attached to the way we eat, and it's a very personal issue.
0: That... It's a hard thing to change like anything else. And I uh, I liked that you were talking about changing your physical health as part of a a spiritual awakening because I'd have to—I mean, that's one thing I am very grateful for, that food was one of the first things— that I really started to figure out and I absolutely cannot deny that I'm I'm sure that that had impacts on where I have come mentally and spiritually later on. Like, And I'm most people, uh, most people that are free in the mind are still not free in the body. So I am so glad that I started with the body and was able to then start working with those deeper mental and spiritual aspects of being mm-hmm. and. It's just unfortunate for most people. I think it just goes the uh, the complete opposite way, where you start with that, you start with those spiritual aspects, you start with those mental aspects, but then it, you, it's only years and years after that you really start to look at the the horrible food you're eating and seeing how that you know your physical body affects your mental health. It affects your spiritual health. It it affects these other bodies of our existence. These are all intertwined. And that's why food is so important to really start wrapping your head around and, and understanding.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Uh, So, yeah, I think that was a pretty good little summary of just kind of where we can, we come from in, in our histories. And yeah, so let's get into let's get into the problem.
1: But where do you start? (laughs) Well, this is
0: the part that we all should agree on, and that's that we are sick. We are sick as a people. And you are hearing all sorts of things nowadays of the mental health issues, which we're not going to delve too deeply into today, but I just want to, again, firmly link mental issues with physical issues and how if you go see... uh, a psychologist, I'm sure no one is ever going to talk to you about your improving your food quality. That's not going to be something that any doctor really is going to yeah. talk about, but especially a mental health doctor. So just if you are struggling in those kind of ways, really think about the food you're eating. And I I guarantee you, you're underestimating how impactful food can be on your emotions, on your spirit and on your mental health. So really, really think about that. The uh all right, so let's get into chronic diseases. I have a bunch of stuff printed out here, mostly just from the CDC or from, you know, the typical, like, American associations, like, all, all that kind of the stuff. The American so, Cancer Association. Yeah, so th- we're, we're going with all of their numbers today. So 6 in 10 adults in the U.S. have a chronic disease. 4 in 10 adults in the U.S. have 2 or more. And, uh we're going to be talking in the next show about the medical industrial complex, but uh, food and poor nutrition leads to a lot of the diseases we're suffering from. And this is like uh, over a four trillion dollar industry we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, there, This is a big business. And I think that's actually one thing I kind of forgot. I wanted to say that today, today, where our main goal is to teach you that you are in control of your health through your food. And then the next show about the pharmaceutical industry is going to be explaining to you how you are exploited because you not you have not yet accepted that responsibility. You have choice over your food. You are responsible for your health. And you can change your body any day that you decide to do it. All right, chronic diseases. So the big ones, heart disease, cancer, uh, lung diseases, stroke, Alzheimer's, however you say it, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and this is these are killing a lot of people. You know, I have a list here. Number 1 killer, heart disease. And so I'm going to be reading a lot of this kind of stuff over the next little bit, and it's easy to get caught up in these numbers and kind of forget that we're talking about people here. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's easy to just read, "Oh, a million people are dying of this, hundreds of thousands are dying of this," but just remember like we're talking about people here
1: and you more than likely know somebody in your life who that has, is, one that of these. has one that has one or but, multiple ones yep. of
0: these or multiple people in your life that have mm-hmm. multiple ones of these so heart disease that's about 700,000 that's the leading killer number two we got cancer 600,000 uh COVID-19 okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: moving on <laughs>
0: accidents uh, well and again one thing with co- so COVID if uh, you should at least think of it as we are so profoundly sick that a nasty cold could come along and kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, uh, are dying comorbidities and it's just unfortunate to realize that we are that sick. People are so sick and so just nutrient deficient that a nasty cold could come along and kill them. Um, I don't know how, so accidents about you know 200,000 uh stroke is another big one 162,000 uh lower respiratory diseases 142,000 diabetes 103,000 all right that's all I want to read off of there because I have other individual ones for each thing that we talk about uh the the one thing we need to understand with this is that we are the only species that has these type of severe chronic illnesses only us and the pets we feed mm-hmm. So <laughs> that should kind of point to it has something to do with what we're putting in our bodies that is a big impact on this. All right. So where are we going to from here? Let's talk a bit about obesity.
1: We can talk about obesity.
0: You want to go what do you want to talk about?
1: You have all the stats.
0: Yeah, let's just start with I wanted to start specifically with childhood obesity because this is one of the most you know, it was something I dealt with, and it's just it—it's unfortunate to uh, see how normalized it's becoming. Uh, so this is for adolescent children's aged two to nineteen years old, twenty seventeen to twenty twenty. The prevalence of obesity was nineteen point seven percent and affected about fourteen point seven million children and adolescents. Obesity prevalence was twelve point seven percent among two to five year olds. Two to five year olds—that's mm-hmm. crazy. 20% among six to 11 year olds, 22% 12 to 19 year olds. So we're dealing, you know, we're talking like a quarter here of most of the young ages. And when, especially with these young kids, it's you're just setting them up for that life of these chronic diseases. It starts with all of these horribly branded kids' foods that you're. Feeding your kids.
1: I would also like to point out, like, you didn't actually start getting heavy until you went to school. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I did not feed you guys the best food. I am well aware of that. But it wasn't actually until you went to school that you really started having the weight issues. And yes, I do believe school lunches are partly responsible for that. But I also, the whole thing that you're sitting in school for eight hours a day with, what, half an hour of gym class? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
0: locking you in a room. Room. I I want to talk about some of the school lunches and just some of the the crazy things that you observe after with that. Um, All right, so obesity. Um, Unfortunately, we're also dealing with this crazy uh, epidemic of, mental mind control or mental gymnastics that is obesity is perfectly fine, perfectly healthy, that you should put no effort into caring for yourself, loving yourself and trying to change yourself for the better. And that is really unfortunate to see. And part of that is that as I was talking about earlier, we are constantly trying to label things as diseases. So people are trying to label obesity as a disease. Like I am an obese person. I suffer from obesity. And what this does is it it removes the responsibility from the individual for
1: being able to change their life. And it's just... It takes the responsibility out of your hands. And, of course, who's the first person you're going to go to when you have a disease? Your doctor. The doctor. And I like what you put down because the bariatric surgery I see that you had on the list. I do want to make a comment about the bariatric surgery.
0: Yeah, I got I got a couple here. Like, we can talk about um, that.
1: Do not do it that's even been suggested to you, do not do it. Um, I know two people. One's my husband. um, My sister-in-law is the other one who both have had it. And they're both unhealthy people because they are unable to process the nutrients now from real food. Like there's actual foods they cannot eat because they can't process it through their system. And so they've become nutrient deficient in that way. And we will get into it. But how do you do that? You have to take supplements. Well, Supplements are not the answer either, which we'll discuss further down because food in of itself, you cannot take the vitamins and minerals out of food and make them into powdered form and then expect them to work at the same as food because an apple is a very complex mechanism that when you're eating it breaks up into all... Scientists don't even know the whole complete mechanism behind when you're digesting all those nutrients and, you know, in a package format. a a whole
0: food. It is its own entity, it's its own energy you're bringing in rather than a vitamin.
1: So don't sit there and think, oh, because, oh, well, I'm going to have my stomach taken out, I'll just eat less. for starters, you'll gain the weight back if you're not careful, which both of them have. <laughs> both of them. Yeah. My sister-in-law is very... She's probably the heaviest she's ever been. And she had this, what, 20 years ago? 25? That was...
0: Uh, I I read like 40 pages of it yesterday. I wish I had started it earlier so I could read... Uh, I could have read it for the show. But that the Proteinaholic book, that guy was a bariatric surgeon. So that's why it kind of got me to write some of these things down and, and to think about it because... This is a but this is also part of that whole mentality of a disease is and what he talked about in just a couple of the pages I had read is that when you go for for Western medicine. And you talk about curing obesity. The only things they even talk about are surgeries like mm-hmm. that to them is the only way you cure obesity. And I, and like you said, unfortunately, what it does is really just even if you then later on wanted to start eating healthy whole foods, all of these horrible surgeries where you mutilate your body, they are inhibiting you from being able to do that. Mm-hmm. And as he talked about, like you had just said, as he talked about in the book, that. There's kind of a honeymoon phase he would see with his patients where they, you know, you do just lose weight, but then they're coming back two or three years later with all this weight regained. Mm -hmm. It's not these things are not permanent solutions to the underlying issue, which is your food. It is an imbalance. All disease is an imbalance in your body. It is disequilibrium and nothing the doctor is going to give you is ever going to fix any of those things. And this is where. I'm going to save this kind of stuff for the next show where we talk about doctors and Western medicine and the pharmaceutical industry. But these surgeries are horrible to think that people are going and getting them when they absolutely do not need to. You know, and you see like the, the TLC shows and that kind of stuff where, and Anuma and I have talked about this a lot. So it's like, you know, if you're 700 pounds and you might literally die in your sleep tomorrow. Those are the kind of people where they're still targeting, like, a gastric bypass towards. But even then, even then, it's hard to even justify. But I'm talking about, you know, if you're a 200-something, 300-something-pound person, the last thing on earth you should be thinking about doing is getting one of these surgeries.
1: Yeah. Well, I under- I agree. I totally agree. And they pressured him. It wasn't even, like... They literally told your father, "If you don't get the surgery, you're going to be dead in like five years." I'm that was the I'm stuff sure, they were just telling. Just as they him. pressured him with like the
0: back, back surgery, yes. like you cannot heal, you have to do that. And we'll talk about that with the the new uh, high priests of <laughs> the new religion of scientism. Uh, go worship at the altar of the white lab coat. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in the next, next show. show. Yep. Um, I don't. I wrote down uh, like specific ones, but there's several of these bariatric surgeries. All of them involve either pouching up the stomach or bypassing part of the intestine or both or putting a band around the stomach, just unnecessary surgery. And I, like as I was reading some of it, they're like, you know, these surgeries are perfectly safe. A surgery is never no. perfectly safe. Anytime you're put under it. All right. We'll save that kind of stuff for the next show. Uh, I don't want to talk about it much, but nowadays you're seeing the Ozempic Mm -hmm. stuff of rather than change my diet and do things that I can easily, well, it is hard. It's the real solution. That's why it is hard, but changing my diet rather than do any of that hard work, I'm going to choose to stab myself in the stomach or some part of my body to inject a diabetes medication to help me lose weight, um, Ah, it's
1: crazy. No, it is. I agree. And on top of it, you can well. Let's go into diabetes. You can cure diabetes on a whole food plant based diet. There has been.
0: Isn't he? Isn't evidence, my? Isn't Padre off of his?
1: He's not off of his medication because he has. He's not. It was just reduced. But it's re, it's going down, and um, they have reduced his medication. But there is evidence. You have you. I suggest you go out and do the research that people have been cured of diabetes, changing their diets. And I'm talking about type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is a different... But they have been able to control the insulin levels of people with type 1 diabetes. And the book I'm referencing that I got this information from is a very controversial book among many people. It is The China Study by T. uh, Colin Campbell. But I... He is actually a nutritionist who actually has done the 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 work. He has done well, the he's research. He's not the only one, and he's either. not the only one. He's
0: not the only one at, at the only. I mean, you uh, Caldwell Esselstine, uh, um,
1: Max Gerson is another one who who cured diabetes and cancer. Yeah, and, and we'll,
0: that's also the same when we talk about heart disease. Um, real quick, uh, this might be a little boring, but I think it's important to to say. Uh, just to quickly go back to obesity and then we'll go, we'll else. dive into diabetes a little bit more. I just want, I mean, I think this was a couple so March, 2020, the UO, uh, U S obesity was at 41.9%. Like we are at that precipice where it will be more unlikely for you to go out in public and see a healthy weight person rather than seeing obese individuals. Mm-hmm. And it's cr- that that should be scary. That that you are going out in reality, and you are more likely to see a a chronically obese uh, person rather than just a healthy weight individual. And obesity, it just it's kind of that thing that just leads to all of the other things: the heart disease, stroke, type two diabetes, cancers. They uh, obesity is almost always going to be a a causing type of factor, uh, a relevant factor, when we get into those those more serious things, which will be the things that actually put you in the grave. Mm-hmm. All right. So we were talking about diabetes. Yes. Well, it is interesting. So most diabetes is type two diabetes. Yes, as majority. Yeah. Yes. Um, it says thirty seven million Americans, or thirteen point three percent of the population, has diabetes. Uh, only 1.9 million Americans have type 1. So that's so 37 million as a total versus 1.9 is type 1. So a lot of this is preventable type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is preventable. I think there's also, isn't there like a late onset type 1? There's like a new third one, but I didn't really write much it's about that. It's usually
1: type 1 diabetes. Um, yeah, it's, okay, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
0: Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, 29% or 15.9 million Americans, uh, seniors over the age of 65 had diabetes. I think that seems to be where it really kicks in. Like we were saying with the grandmothers, it's just, and again, with a lot of these chronic diseases, a lot of them are so prevalent now because we are living longer and we are seeing the repercussions of our poor eating habits where in the past, you know, if you were Eating a lot of animal products or you were eating these processed foods, you you, you were
1: You were dead by sixty. Yeah, yeah you
0: they, weren't yeah. you weren't living to that point where you were really starting to receive the repercussions of it. Uh I had something on here. I I think the some of the biggest ones will be getting to the to the money. I, I like this one was crazy. Nearly one in five adolescents aged twelve to eighteen. Uh wait, what? Oh, okay. I don't know what that was saying. Never mind. Scratch that. The uh the one that I really wanted to reference, because when you hear, you know, 37 million, whatever, the, the biggest one was the pre-diabetes, which I'm trying to find it right now. Do you see it? Where did I put it?
1: No, you had, um, it was nearly one in five adolescents aged oh, okay. 12 to 18 and one in four young adults aged 19 to 34 are pre-diabetic.
0: I did, did I delete it? Or, it was, I think it was something like, so... When you see like diagnosed diabetes, it's around thirty-seven million. But when you go to pre-diabetes, you're talking about like ninety-six million. Mm-hmm. Like it doubled. It goes to almost like like that like the one in four in the population. But anyways, diabetes type two preventable, and a lot of people are dying from it. Uh, it's the seventh leading cause of disease, about eighty-seven thousand a year, and it's all healable. Yes. All right, and diabetes is actually one of the biggest. that's uh the diabetes medical industrial complex, about four hundred and twelve billion dollars yeah, yeah. Uh, which again, because you 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 got you got you hooked on the insulin, you got you just fall into that trap and now you're uh you're a patient for life yeah
1: instead of telling the patients when they're coming in pre-diabetic saying, "Hey, change your diet." So you don't become diabetic, or even when you find out you're initially diabetic, because you don't necessarily go on insulin as soon as you're, because your dad's not on insulin. You know, okay, if you don't want to go on insulin, here's what you have to do. You have to change your diet, but that's never discussed. Yeah,
0: why would we tell them Uh, that?
1: Because you don't make money.
0: (laughs) All right, obesity, diabetes, cancer. Cancer is the other big one, which there are numerous people with numerous methods that have claim to have cured cancer and...
1: What I would like to point out with the cancer is that, um, and it was in the book hole, is that cancer, a lot of people equate cancer with environmental toxins. And I'm not going to dispute that environmental toxins do have, you know, you're more prone to get cancer when you're exposed to them. However, you're more likely to get cancer from the diet you're eating. And you are also better able to protect yourself from the environmental toxins if you're eating a better diet. So, yeah, the
0: effects of food on your body trump all of the environmental toxins that surround you. But, yeah, it is. And I think that is kind of the mainstream science view is that cancer and carcinogens are external environmental factors. They cannot be the foods we are consuming and eating.
1: And that is false.
0: Uh,. Alright, this is the last one with numbers and, and whatnot for you So, uh, cancer is another leading cause As I had said earlier, 600,000 die of cancer 16.9 million Americans living today Have had a history with cancer So even if they're not dead, they have had at some point Experienced it, gone mm-hmm. through it And and had a history of it And I have a a nice cancer action network Of the American Cancer Society Cancer Cost And this is a good one, let's talk about this so patients' out-of-pocket costs, which <sighs> the horrible thing about this is so these people are paying out-of-pocket. And what are they paying out-of-pocket for? Surgical procedures, radiation treatments, and chemotherapy. So they're paying for their own death. Yeah, they're paying for their own They poisons. are paying out-of-pocket for the poisoning of their own body, uh, whereas food would be a much better option to uh, to target these things, which this will be another thing we can talk about in the next episode, but when you When you go through these horrible chemical and radi- radiation procedures, that is affecting your whole body. It's not just affecting the cancer growth; it is poisoning and radiating your entire body and we know someone who died because of that and not from the cancer mm-hmm. um so that's just the out of pocket, which is just a super small amount um, so what we're looking at in the in the cancer industrial complex is uh, they're they're. I think they're actually bragging here with a 34% increase from 2015 of 1.82 billion to 2030 of 245 billion. So again, we're dealing with astronomical numbers. It's kind of hard to even really quantify these things. Or and it, again, I just want to emphasize: it's so easy to get lost when you're hearing you know million here, millions here. But they, these are people we're talking about. These are lives of people suffering and dealing with these chronic illnesses. And You know, the worst part with a lot of these chronic illnesses is they they don't just kill you. They take a long time Time to to kill kill you you, and you 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 suffer suffer. and and you deal uh, with a lot of issues. Uh, The last thing, uh, the leading cause of death, heart disease. One person dies every 33 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So how many people have died from just us sitting here talking? That's a that's a horrible uh, thing to think about about uh so as i had said earlier about 700,000 people in the united states died from heart disease in 2021 that's one in every five deaths one in every five deaths in the united states with a cardiovascular disease that should scare it's, us yeah it's frightening it's horrible and again heart disease cost yeah you know, another cool like about 240 billion so billions and billions and billions um i think that's all i want let's uh quickly about heart attacks in the United States, someone has a heart attack every 40 seconds. Every year, about 800,000 people in the United States have a heart attack. Of these, 600,000 are their first heart attacks. And 200,000 are for people who have already had a heart attack. And about one in five heart attacks are silent, which I hadn't really thought about. But you have a heart attack, and you're just not even aware of it. Well, oh, your it, grandmother. That's what happened to yeah.
1: her in the hospital. She had a heart attack, and they didn't even know about it till afterwards. They're like, are you okay? (laughs) She's like, yeah, I feel fine. And then they're like, oh, you just (laughs) had a heart attack. Okay.
0: So uh, that's the problem. A lot of chronic disease, a lot of death, and a lot of money being made off of death. And that's, again, the whole point of the show is that almost everything we just talked about is a preventable disease. Uh, Another thing in the Proteinaholic book he talks about is how, as a doctor, you're kind of just taught that That diseases are just a part of life, and he talks about how he start how after he left medical school, he started to really think of the human body as being a lemon or like you know a bad car, a car that's just destined to break down. Mm -hmm. The human body is just destined for disease, and that's something I want to challenge in this show, which is this whole idea that that we will inevitably become healthy, we will inevitably be on a stack of pills. That disease is just inevitable, and that it will. It will always come It starts come you.
1: right from birth. What's one of the first things that happen to babies? They get immunized. It's that oh, we'll, whole... Yeah, we'll I know talk we'll go about down the... that, but you're right in that whole aspect. Like, your whole entire life, you are just being told you are just a disease-ridden entity, and yeah. you need, you know... It's horrible. ...to protect yourself.
0: All right, so we got food mind control put here. Food mind control... Uh, one thing I, I had read in this kind of like raw vegan book that I liked that it, it was just saying, you know, cause this is the justification. A lot of people say for using processed foods is, uh, you know, I'm trying to save time. I got to save time. I got to, you know, I don't have time to cook. So I just throw something in the microwave or I just eat this, this crappy food. Uh, and at, the funny thing, the ironic thing is as we try to save time by eating these processed foods, we shorten our time mm-hmm. here. That's a good, yeah. I so like stop. And that just goes into the whole scarcity thing, the rat race thing, just constantly being stressed, constantly having something that you feel that you need to do. Chill out, cook yourself some healthy food, and you'll live longer. You'll have a longer time here on the planet Earth.
1: Yeah, it is it is just as quick to get a rice maker, throw a cup of ri- brown rice, you know, cook some beans, eat that, throw some frozen veggies in there, then driving down to the fast food, waiting in line for your fast food, and eat it. Even less time, I would argue. Yeah. And you're doing a lot better for your body by then eating Taco Bell or McDonald's, trust me.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the sewage. Yes. Uh, so we had mentioned this a little briefly earlier, but with food mind control, it was like, who taught you to eat? It was the television. And just as with public education, we are generations into this. So even if you were to say that it was my parent who taught me to cook... Well, their chances are your parent learned from the TV or learned from their parent who also learned from the TV or radio in terms of in in advertisements and billboards and things like that of foods. To yeah, consume. Well, you
1: made a very valid point when your grandmothers were growing up. That was the beginning of television. Yep. I mean, they didn't have television, so they were a little older, but that was the whole beginning. You know,
0: the rise of the TV, TV dinners, yeah. the frozen food, all just that was the origin of uh, of all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Another important thing to understand with food is do not go to your regular physician and expect them to know anything.
1: Yes, because they don't.
0: (laughs) This is unfortunate. Um, I have here written 20 minutes. I've heard other things of like an hour. Either way, the sum total of what your average physician is taught about nutrition is extremely poor. Uh, It is an extremely small amount. And he talks about in the Proteinaholic book how even that few hour that that they had of nutritional training – He said it was something about how to like give an IV for a person who can't eat or like some like it doesn't even really involve food to begin with. And
1: when we go into the medical industrial complex, I will tell you why that is, but we'll wait for that. Oh, you're teasing people.
0: (laughs) All right. So you can't trust the doctor. You cannot go into the into the doctor's office and expect them to give you a food-based solution, or if they do, chances are it is going to be a backwards food solution, oftentimes promoting you to eat more processed foods rather than more whole foods. Uh, and then you also have, you know, the government policies like the food pyramid, which I had. I wonder if they're kind of rolling that back because I looked it up because I figured maybe I'll you know, just print it out and have it, but I... Uh, I couldn't really find the uh, the government-sanctioned one. I saw a couple different ones, like a Harvard Med one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they... Oh, is that what the plate thing is? It is they, the plate, So they yes. replaced it with the they plate? They have changed it a few okay. times, yeah. All right, so...
1: Yeah, when I was growing up, it was the pyramid.
0: Yeah. And then it changed. That was what... Yeah. Oh, uh, I think it was when I was in elementary school. I think that's when they started they pushing the plate, plate on yeah. us heavily. It's a little different.
1: Uh but i also want to as much as i don't like the government i want to i want to acknowledge that a lot of the government policies are based on and not always factual information but from research done by scientists who are many times influenced by the corporations that are funding the research that the government is basing their information on. So it can be kind of skewed. It's,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Big money interests. which We'll we'll talk a little bit about some of those big money interests later. The uh, one little game I wanted to play is, you know, when talking about food mind control, I think some of the greatest examples of this are, for instance, when I say the word protein, what do you think? And I guarantee you you're thinking meat and dairy," and nothing else. like actually nothing else. Mm-hmm. I, I guarantee you that that's what you're thinking. It's the same with calcium. When I say the word "calcium," what do you think? You think milk. milk. Yep. And,
1: and there's a reason. <laughs> that
0: was the, yeah, advertisers. It's done by design, and it's just uh, you got you have to open yourself up and, and out of these little boxes that you've been put in, and those are great examples. And one more: health, when I say the word "health." What do you instantly think? And I know this will be skewed for me, you and Numa, you know, people who talk about health a lot. But I think for the average person, when they think of health, they think of a very I wrote it down as like an unattainable thing or almost even an unnatural thing that being healthy would require a lot of work and require a ton of effort and be so hard to maintain they'll think of like the the typical crash diets they think of the gym bro eating broccoli and rice and 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 chicken all day like it's just these very skewed perceptions of people that i wouldn't even really consider healthy Mm -hmm. uh so really think about health and what health would mean to you in a holistic uh in a holistic point of view uh I just think those are perfect examples of how these things just get in brained into our heads. And I, I I actually think for most people, the idea of being healthy would be something to them that is just almost completely unnatural, that they don't think that that is the, the regular state of humanity, just like I was saying with the doctors, that you're destined for disease, you're going to be unhealthy, and you might as well just accept it. It's your genes, just roll over. And I hadn't said it with the... Uh, when we were talking about obesity, but I don't understand how that is more comforting than understanding you have the ability to change. Like for all these fat acceptance people saying that it's all genes, it's all genetics, it's my hormones are just messed up, even though we'll talk about how food affects your hormones. Uh, Uh,
1: I believe that's that is ingrained as in us as a human species is that I really think they have done a very good job of pounding out self-responsibility out of us. that. You can't possibly be responsible for your own actions. Like, how dare you change your diet and feel better without going through a doctor? You have or, to go to the doctor. Y- you have to, to do go it. to the doctor to feel better. You can't do it by yourself. How dare you? You know? Who do you think you are? And I think that's where a lot of the people who are most triggered you know, when you talk about diet and changing your life, they're the ones who are most <sighs> ingrained with that. I think they want to be in denial
0: that they have the ability to change.
1: Yeah, like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do that. And yes, yes you can. <laughs> it's as simple I just as don't
0: understand putting how... away
1: your processed soup and make your own soup. It's as simple yeah. as that.
0: It's just crazy to me that they fi- they somehow find it more comforting to put themselves in the victim position of this is my genes these are my hormones these are unchangeable things i am going to be fatter i'm going to be unhealthy forever i don't see how that is a more comforting position to be in than understanding that you have the ability to change mm-hmm. that that any day you can control and as we'll we'll talk about through epigenetics that you that that your genes and dna they they're just these potentials and that you build the potentials through what you put in your body yeah. the way you think the way you feel the way you act and 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 instead of doing any of that stuff they just want to be victims you want everyone wants to be a victim to the disease they have it's the same with the the mental health stuff of you know i you're not a person experiencing anxiety and that that's something you need to work through you have anxiety you have it and you will have it forever. Not that you are an anxious person who needs to work on mastering that and overcoming that or dealing with the underlying issue of it. Mm -hmm. It's again, just this, this idea of disease, disease, disease. Uh, we had talked a bit about school lunches. I will just come back to it a little bit of the ironic thing. All right. So a couple of things I was thinking about, uh, we had wrote down that, uh, you get a milk, but you gotta pay for, for water. Water,
1: and that's the dairy council. <laughs> we'll, we'll go into that later. But
0: Here's yes. a milk kid, but you gotta pay for yep. water. So that's one that's funny. Nowadays, uh, the food the the food lunches are. Uh, I've watched stuff on this in the past. I'm trying to recall it right now, but it's it's very similar to like the prison lunch systems. Actually, the prisoners oftentimes get better food than the school lunches. A lot of the school lunches are. Just another one of these massive contracts that mm-hmm. uh, that goes through the governments. That
1: and it's kind of si- sad, actually, because I remember when I was in school, there was a kitchen. Like they actually cooked. I mean, I'm not saying it was healthy for you, but they actually <laughs> really is cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, they're cooking in the kitchen and serving you hot, fresh meals. You know, so and I know they have totally. I don't think there's any school that does that anymore no
0: most of it is all going to be frozen just heated up yeah. processed garbage you know and and that's where you're sending your kids all day you're putting them in this box and then you're feeding them this garbage and, and
1: you wonder why they're all crazy
0: <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's yeah. horrible um, and you also have just like the vending machines there you know
1: it's funny you say vending. I know this is a little off topic but when I had to take your grandmother to the emergency room the other day we're sitting in the waiting room and I look over and guess what's there a Pepsi vending machine. I'm thinking, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> We're in the hospital and there's the Pepsi uh, the, vending machine. Uh, that
0: was what the uh, the Proteinaholic book, he talked about how uh, people going in, going to go see their cardiologist and there's a Wendy's on the bottom floor of this hospital yeah. he's in. So they're going to get in their Baconator mm-hmm. before going up to see their cardiologist. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, that's the society we live in.
0: <laughs> Absolute craziness. Uh, I wrote here under uh, food, mind control, again, uh, something that uh, Colin Campbell talked about in the whole book, which is the reductionism, Mm -hmm. is this idea of breaking the foods down from being food. And again, I really wish I had been able to read more of this book, but he talked about that at some point. I think it was around the 70s. There was a committee and he was saying that that was before that they were real. They. People would talk about food in terms of whole foods. Like it, someone would say, "Oh, you should eat more beans, or you should eat more olive oil, or you should eat more rice, or you know these these foods." But then after that, it became the idea of, you know, if you go to a doctor now and ask them about nutrition, they'll probably say, "Well, you should eat more you need carbs." B
1: twelve. You need vitamin C yeah. in your diet. You need the yeah.
0: And I'm just talking. Uh, not only of micronutrients, but specifically just the macros. Yeah. Like that's all people talk about now is carbohydrates, proteins, mm-hmm. and fats. And they, and by doing that, they sever it from the understanding of the whole complete food that that ha- that contains those things. Mm-hmm. But this is a uh, this is something that you know I is prevalent in the bro culture, the gym culture of you know just hit your macros, bro. Nowadays I see it changing a little bit, but especially for a long time it was this idea of you know, it just hit your macros and it has no, it doesn't matter at all what the food is you're eating. It could be the most processed, horrible thing for you. But as long as it fits into your macros, this amount of carbs, this amount of fats, this amount of proteins, you're good to go. Uh, so I just think that's an important thing. I to, also
1: like to point out when you eat whole foods, everybody is designed differently. Every, you know, and even like you're a male, I'm a female, I've got 25 plus years on you, you know, everybody's in different stages of their life. So when you eat that apple, like say you and I are both eating an apple, the apple I'm eating is going to go through my body differently and take out different nutrients than the apple you're eating because it's compensating for what's going on in my body as opposed to what's going on in your body.
0: Because the body is an intelligent, capable being that understands what it requires. It is not this dumb, dead mechanism. The body is intelligent. It understands what it needs. And I'll talk about that later when we talk about protein. Uh, Yeah. So I think a perfect example of reductionism is don't eat that banana. It has too much sugar in it. That's a perfect (laughs) example of it, of people just going absolutely crazy with these.
1: True story. I have to tell you the true story. I don't know if you remember, but one time when we were over at your grandmother's, you were eating a whole bunch of grapes. And she yelled at me and yelled at you and said, stop eating all those grapes. You're eating too much sugar. What are you talking about? (laughs) Says the one with all the cookies (laughs) Uh, and the white sugar. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. But no, I don't it,
0: I think that was when I was a kid you were yeah, you, I think you've told me that before. Don't eat too much fruit, you know. Stop it it doesn't matter that it's a whole food with fiber and all these other things that balance out that sugar and these natural sugars. No, it has nothing to do with that. It it just it has sugar in it. It has sugar in it. So, reductionism is something you need to be really careful of because it's part of why we get into such these demonizing battles over oh, carbs are the whole problem or meat is the whole problem or it's a cacophony of multiple things all harmoniously working together to poison us. I don't it's not one thing individually in my view, it is all of these things mm-hmm. combined. And and I think that is where we are really running into trouble. So, stop obsessing about the parts of something because when you obsess about the parts of something, you lose the whole. Yep. All right. You ready?
1: Yep. Food as medicine. I don't even know where to start with this. This was the whole reason why I started this diet. And um, I can tell you that it works. Um, I.
0: What are you afraid to say? Speak. I don't
1: know. I just I want it. It's one of those things where I have known how much it has changed my life that I want to go out and tell people just do it because you're going to feel better. And at the same time, you're like, but people take it so personally. (laughs)
0: Well, this is where we get to do that because people voluntarily come to this. If they want to click off, you know, whatever.
1: I mean, I can tell you I'm 52 years old and over the summer for the first time in my life, I did a 12-mile hike, which I never thought I would do. And I know a lot of that is because my diet had changed and I understand, you know, how my body works now. We did an overnight backpacking trip I never thought I would do. So I just, and I'm tearing up because it's a very emotional topic for me. And uh, seeing how it affects your father's health, I mean, he's doing so much better.
0: Oh, you look at old pictures of all of us and you can just see the difference, especially in him and you and and everyone in us. Uh, Food is, let food be thy medicine. It is is absolutely crazy how far away Western medicine has gotten from that. It's crazy. Uh, it is almost the last thing ever considered. Like uh, Grandma C, for an example, is a perfect issue with her gut issues. Like a year or two ago, or whatever, you know, she went in there, and they're they're doing. She had surgery, and they're giving the pills and medications. Did they ever ask her, like, what are you eating? You know, are you having a, an extreme amount of coffee and cigarettes, and not moving at all? Like maybe that's why you're having gut issues. Yeah, but you just never. You're just never going to get that holistic perspective of a doctor because, and again, in the Proteinaholic book, he talks about how when you're a doctor, you're not even... You're not considering the patient. uh, When you're a doctor, you almost are just thinking of the disease. Disease, And that's why they'll actually say like, oh, colon cancer in room nine or whatever. Like they identify the patient with the disease and they complete. The patient is just a bystander, where in reality, the patient is the one creating the situations that build and create these chronic diseases.
1: And the other thing I'd like to point out is while we are talking how you have to you know eat nutritious food to be healthy there is food out there particularly teas like if you have an ailment will actually help you <laughs> you know echinacea is a good one when you get you're getting a cold drink some echinacea tea cuz or elderberry tea cuz those actually have antioxidants in there that help your body fight off colds or if you need pain relief turmeric is a big one stomach issues Drink some ginger tea or put some ginger in your diet. I mean, there are medicinal med- or foods that will work just as well as most medications, if not better.
0: Yeah, and we didn't even really, uh, we didn't really put much of that down. But that is a whole other side of this, yeah. of the herbs and the medicines and these ancient cultures have an understanding of how impactful plants can be. And that's part of why, you know, when I'm listening to carnivores... Oh, plants are trying to kill you. They got the anti-nutrients. they you know, they don't want you to eat them, and, and blah 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 blah. And and I'm thinking about all these herbs and all these yeah, remedies. You don't and all these...
1: suggest beef when somebody's in pain, you know, <laughs> yeah. or if you're having stomach issues. Oh, go eat some pork or drink some milk. No, you don't do that. You know, you focus.
0: And where are a lot of those remedies found in other cultures, cultures outside of yes. ours? Because they're they're a lot older. They have more experience with that. And I, they they understand what really brings health and yeah uh, herbs and and all those sorts of remedies can be Im, Im, uh, super impactful. Uh, we had already talked about some of these guys, but you know you said Max Gerson uh, cured cancer. Uh, do you have any details on these guys? Because th- these are just kind of brief notes.
1: Well, I I only briefly looked at the Gerson diet, Gerson therapy. Um, I do know he was. I want to. Not sure when his time frame was. I do know that he did um, cure cancer with diet and some other holistic therapies. I do know the FDA kicked him out of the U.S. You can't go; you have to go to Mexico. If okay, you want. this is the guy That's, in Mexico. Yes, there's he has a clinic. That well, he's dead. His I believe his daughter has taken over everything. But you can go. You know, Tijuana, I believe, is where one. I think they actually have two. Um, facilities in Mexico, but yeah, they they have been known to cure cancer with diet, and the FDA didn't want anything to do with that, <laughs> so they kicked him out of the country.
0: Was because does he work with vitamins?
1: Uh, there was vitamins. Yeah, it, I briefly read through the, but he they that's actually where I got off. You know, don't cook on uh, anything but stainless steel. Yeah, which we have done. <laughs> actually, <laughs> have- I don't yeah.
0: think I wrote that down. So let's just talk about that briefly you should not be using any Teflon or aluminum pans to cook with a fun fact. I learned that if you are a new pet bird owner, one of the first things they tell you is do not cook with these pans because you will kill your bird Yeah. and birds are known as being a, you know, they're, they're sensitive. They're mostly air, which is why they were used in mines and things like that to detect poison. So if you're killing birds by cooking with a Teflon coated pan or aluminum pan, it's bad. It's mm-hmm. bad for you. It's bad. The fumes that come off of it. Uh, go to stainless steel. Go to cast iron. Go to Some glass. Ceramics. There, ceramics. Yep. there are plenty of other options. Buy yourself a nice set and you'll be good to go. Uh ah. That's a horrible one. Everyone I know uses a, a, yeah, I know. a Teflon, aluminum coated. Oh we still
1: have them up at Tug Hill. I was like, I'm not cooking <laughs> on these, but
0: I really like the cast. Just a big cast iron. You can't go wrong with that. You can throw it right in the oven. Yeah, they're they're great, uh, but the mat. It just it's reminding me. I don't know what when I was doing research on this, but I think the FDA says you can only treat things with pills. Yeah, you can And so like a vi- the FDA like you cannot use a vitamin to cure cancer because a vitamin is not a patented pill. Pill, yes. When did we talk about I I don't I remember looking into that I at know. some point. We'll discuss I, that in the, I don't the know. next uh <laughs> Dr. Ornish cured heart disease in the 90s. Uh the the other big one is, is Caldwell well Uh I should have wrote down more details uh 1980 so even before him. He's the one that took a group of people do you have any information on any of the details on that?
1: He was out of Cleveland, it was in the book. Um, yeah, he did. He took a group, it was, I believe, the Cleveland Clinic, it was in Cleveland, and uh, he put them all on a whole food, plant based diet, a strict These, one, strict, very strict one. And these were all these were all people who had either had a heart attack or had heart surgery. I mean, they were already...
0: They were expected spe- to die, die very soon.
1: And I believe all of the... I know all of them that followed the diet strictly lived like 10, 20, 30... Into their old age. Old age. They, they cured heart And it's disease. the ones who went off who ended up having issues and dying much sooner. So
0: definitely look into that work because... And that's where I... Like, you know, because... Uh, Colin Campbell's big thing is pro is animal proteins as a carcinogen mm-hmm. which triggers the hell out of people. Uh but even not looking at that just looking at these other diseases which heart disease is is the biggest killer of us. So the fact that you can cure heart disease with a whole foods plant-based diet why it you should really be questioning why that is not the treatment method for <laughs> for heart yeah. disease. Uh were you going to talk about the Weston Price guy, the guy you were saying you okay, think is a eugenicist?
1: <laughs> I read a book recently called Everything I Do is Illegal. And um, it, it's about a man who is a farmer in Virginia who owns the Polyface farm. And I, he's a meat eater, which is fine, if that's your thing. Um, but he suggested in the book this Winston Price. So I want to check him out. And I'm just started reading his book. I am mean, like in the middle of the second chapter, and I kind of believe he was kind of involved in eugenics. I've got <laughs> my theory on that. His wording, he may not have actually been directly involved, but if you know the time period he wrote it in, which was the late 30s, there was a huge eugenics movement going on in the United States at that point. But he was a dentist from Cleveland. I don't know. They're all from Cleveland, um, who went to different areas of the world to observe, he calls them savages in the book, by the way, their cultures, because his thing was he was a dentist, he was observing uh, cavities, um, oral diseases, and he found that most of the primitive cultures who had not been exposed to the Western diet still had really good teeth. Like, their formation of their teeth was great. They didn't have cavities. They didn't deal with anything. And it was once you exposed these cultures to the Western diet that they started having all these diseases. I mean, I have a lot of issues with the book and where he's going with, but I he does make the valid point that it wasn't until these people were introduced to the Western diet that they started having issues. And there's actually a whole Winston Price Foundation and he's all about whole food. He's a meat eater, though. Like, he supports you have to have, like, shellfish and oils from meat to be healthy, which is fine. I There's arguments for that, I guess. But he didn't cure anybody or anything. But I just thought it was interesting that a dentist from the 30s was acknowledging that, hey, you know— there's an issue with the western diet and this is in the this is in the late 30s another thing i wanted to point out in his book was he was talking about how heart disease and cancer had increased exponentially but diabetes actually was not a thing then which i found very and that was in the 30s so that was what 80 years ago yeah so
0: well i was uh in the proteinaholic book he gives a brief history of of kind of nutrition and food and stuff. And I was surprised to see how far back this goes. Like there was all the way back in 1907, there was a seven-year study that was looking at how immigrants were coming to to America and they were all of a sudden becoming very, very sick, very sick mm-hmm. and, and unhealthy. And so there was a seven-year study all the way back in 1907 linking, they said, meat specifically to increased cancer risk, but also just the whole of the diet, of that American diet. Mm -hmm. So I was really surprised to see how far back that went. And, you know, you have the, uh, uh, where do I have it? There was like a USDA program of meat at, what was it? Meat on every plate at every meal, Mm -hmm. something like that. That was like 1913 to, uh, I'm missing the dates here.
1: No, it's interesting because then that would explain why cancers and heart disease (laughs) started growing so much if that was being pushed.
0: Well, that's that's part of where I'm like okay, cuz the whole thing now and you see comments about it everywhere is that veganism or eating whole food plant-based, that is that's a that they're they're trying to get you. That's a new world order. Like that's the big thing now. Like, you know, it's what everyone's talking about is is these are all new world they want you, they want you to eat bugs they want you to eat plants they don't want you eating meat blah 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 so in the proteinaholic book it was interesting seeing how the ones who were really promoting us to eat meat was the government it was the USDA and their recommendations and these committees of these nutritional committees that were created that really started to skew and promote animal consumption which was also a result of uh Lobbying you know, of these big yeah,
1: lobbying and changing the farming practices in America. Yeah.
0: So I just I wanted to just get that in there because I it's it's funny now. Listen, everyone is constantly uh on the oh, uh, eating plants or it's being kinda, vegan is, well, is it's the new world interesting order.
1: Because when you listen to people who talk about plant whole food, plant based diets, the first thing they'll tell you is we're not vegan. And I think that's really interesting that people don't understand there actually is a difference between veganism and the whole food plant-based diet. Veganism is more of a moral issue. You know, I don't want to kill animals. I don't want to eat animals. And I I agree with that. I I don't eat animals. But whole food plant-based diet is more about the nutritional aspect. Like, look at your food. Look at what you're eating, you know. Don't eat the ultra—because vegan diets can be just as bad, or if not worse. I mean, if you look at the ingredients on the fake meat, oh, my God. (laughs) Which is is
0: what I was going to mention in part of when I was saying at the very beginning that I have only— progressed further that is a perfect example of it of you know i spent many years consuming the fake animal products Mm -hmm. as like a you know as a stop because you are just so ingrained in this way of eating where the meat is the main like like people actually could not even fathom how to structure a meal without the meat Mm -hmm. it is something we just don't know how to do whereas in almost every other culture the meat is a flavoring it's this small thing or it's like a once a week thing it it, it, they're they're not consuming and that's where it's like even if you're going to eat meat you probably are eating way, way too, too much. much of it,
1: yep. and the meat you're eating is not healthy. But that's another,
0: which is also where I'm biased in that. That's the argument everyone makes: of well, get the organic, grass fed, all that crap. Uh, I just I don't know any healthy omnivore. That's I'm going to be honest. I'm biased because I just don't know any human being that is an omnivore that is healthy that eats meat and has a balanced vegetable. I just I don't know any of those people personally. So I am biased in that where. The only healthy people I know are, are mainly plant eaters. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand that that's a bias of mine. Uh, all right. Where are we going from here? I, I'm getting distracted trying to find this useless thing that I don't really need. Uh, so we're wrapping up the uh, food is medicine. Um, I also want to emphasize, you know, I, I talked about the reductionism and focusing all on macros, 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 macros. Uh, you should be more concerned with the micros micronutrients, those are what your body uses to build the hormones that regulate your body and all functions of the body. The the vitamins and the minerals, those micronutrients, those are the things that are that are really important that you get in. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I wanted to read this. I want to look more into this Voltaire guy because I like his quotes. We put drugs of which we know little into bodies of which we know less to cure disease of which we know nothing at all. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's a good quote. Yeah.
0: So I wanted to just get that in before I forgot. Uh, All right. So food is medicine. Never forget that. Food is extremely powerful and it can heal a lot of things. All right. So we talked about a lot of the chronic diseases and we've talked about how food can be medicine. But let's talk about what is actually making us sick. What are What is creating these chronic diseases? Where do you want to start with that?
1: I think we should start with the processed foods. Um, I don't think, unless you actually start reading ingredient labels, I don't think people are even remotely aware of just how toxic your food is. And two of, well, yeah, two of the biggest culprits in our, in especially the Western diet would be the refined white flour and sugar. Um, Sugar is in everything. I mean everything. Go look at your tomato soups, your pasta sauces, your—it's in so much. It's in the bread. And it has <laughs> your deceptive bread you... naming. Oh yeah, there's. Do you want to
0: do that right now? Well, or just go sure, over a couple of Sure, I can them? do a couple. That um, there's an incredible number of names they use to obfuscate yes. and confuse you.
1: Um, there was actually fifty-six, <laughs> I think, names for sure, and I printed out this list, but there's actually some sugars on here that aren't as bad for you. But some things to look out for is like brown rice syrup, brown sugar, cane crystals, cane sugar, caramel, confectioner sugar, corn sweetener, high fructose corn syrup, which is a big one, um, uh, dextrin, dextrose, evaporated cane juice, uh, glucose... Uh, Lots of sweet stuff. Yeah, multidextrin, maltose, palm sugar, raw sugar, refiner syrup, rice syrup. (laughs) I'm just barely touching this. But having said that, and living with a diabetic, there are some sugars that are on the safer side. But... When you are eating your processed foods, these are hidden sugars that are in, I would I would easily say 95% of the processed foods out there in some way, shape, or form has sugar in it.
0: And a lot of that will be eaten without intention, so yeah. you don't understand how much you're actually consuming in a
1: day. So, yeah, if you're, just think about sitting down, you're eating, a, okay, I'm going to eat a bowl of Campbell's soup that has sugar in it with my grilled cheese sandwich. If you're using regular white bread, that is loaded with sugar. So there's more sugar. And I'm going to drink that with, oh, I don't know, my Pepsi, which is totally loaded with. That's all it is is sugar. And that's just dinner. You're not even talking for breakfast. I'm going to eat my Fruit Loops with orange juice, which has is- got added sugar in it. You know, it's, your whole day, you're just eating sugar all day long. And being somebody who is addicted to sugar, I'll be the first to admit it. It's one of my hardest things to get through. Um, It's easy to see why people are becoming diabetic without even, you know, well, I don't eat a lot of sweets. It doesn't matter because you're eat, consuming it all day long as you're eating all the processed foods that you're eating.
0: And you become addicted to you it. You become addicted. Yeah. It's a sugar, drug.
1: Sugar is very addictive.
0: You don't think it's a drug? Try to quit. Yeah. <laughs> it is
1: very, it's very addictive. very similar to uh, cheese. But I'm going to focus on high fructose corn syrup because that is probably the worst sugar for you. And it's one of the m- most used because it's the cheapest to make. And the reason why they- it's so cheap to make is because in the United States we have farming practices where we emphasize corn and they have to use the corn up for something so it's a cheap sh- cheap sweetener and it's really bad for you because it actually affects it's an excitotoxin it actually affects the way you think like when you're eating it it's giving you a dopamine hit almost so you that's where the addiction is caused and it it can actually lead to i it not only leads to um I'm losing my train of thought, neurological diseases, but it also is involved in a lot of uh, intestinal diseases because it messes with all your gut bacteria. It's a bad one. And it's, that's
0: starting to be used even more than like, that's gets because it's, isn't it even cheaper than sugar? Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah in it's, in, it's in
1: everything, especially yeah. beverages. Beverages are the one that, like, the fruit juice you're giving your kid, I'll bet you anything, the first ingredient on there is going to be high fructose corn syrup. So... Avoid that at all costs. Now, having said that, there are some sugars that are better for you, like coconut sugar and date sugar... They actually have some nutritional value to them, <laughs> so when you're consuming them, you are actually getting some nutrients. Not a whole lot, but there is. It's
0: and it would be even more so if you ate a whole date or you blended a whole date. date like yes. that would be even better. better you're for getting the you. whole yep. the whole part of the. Well, fruit. that's all
1: date sugar is is from oh, dates. Is, is it just kind yeah. of, okay. that's why date sugar is a very good alternative. And there are better alternatives like maple syrup, uh, blackstrap molasses is another one, agave. So there are alternatives, but stay away from the sugar. Well, really uh,
0: for sweeteners, I've Stevia I've heard of.
1: Stevia is actually, if you, Stevia is kind of controversial because Stevia itself is actually good. It's an herb. We could grow it in the greenhouse if we want, and I actually thought about growing it. And you just dehydrate, grind it up, and that's your sweetener. Um, but you get it into the, indus- the food industry, and they have... Kind of overprocessed it a little and mixed it with other chemicals. So you got to be careful with stevia. All you right. can get pure stevia in the supermarket, but you got to be careful and make sure it's not processed. Um, honey is another one, which I know vegans don't eat honey, but honey is actually a very medicinal food that actually has a lot of curative uh, properties to it.
0: You have choice.
1: Yes, you have choice. And if you choose, um, the other thing you that we have issues with in the United States is a lot of our foods are made with refined white flour. And the problem with refined white flour is that it has no nutritional value to it whatsoever. Because what happens is when you take the wheat berry, a wheat berry itself has bran, the endosperm, and the seed part, and it's the bran, which is the outer layer, and the Seed part, the germ, I guess is what's it's called. Uh, those contain all the nutrients. But when you refine white flour, you're removing both those and all you have left is the endosperm, which has no nutritional value to it whatsoever. So what they do is they actually add like enriched flour. They actually are adding synthetic nutrients to it, which can be just as harmful <laughs> than not eating them at all. But, um, so you have to be careful, you want to stick with the whole wheats, even though I just went down a whole rabbit hole that not all whole wheats are equal either. But, and also, the other thing I want to point out is when they bleach flour, they use which is the same process well, similar process as they use with the seed oils, is they're bleaching it with like chlorine gas, chlorine dioxide. Nitrogen dioxide, calcium, and benzoyl peroxide are all agents used to bleach flour to give it that pretty white flit, you know. Hmm. So none of those are very good for you. And the problem is, is once you refine it, is when you eat it, it the those carbohydrates absorb into your bloodstream quicker as opposed to whole grains that take longer to absorb in your bloodstream. So that's why when you eat whole grains, your blood sugar doesn't spike quickly because it takes longer for your body to process them. Whereas with the refined white flour, it's like bam. It's like eating sugar. It just spikes your blood sugar right up. So you want to avoid those. And there's all kind in this day and age, there are so many different flours, so many different flours, that you have all kinds of options.
0: Well, the two you just made, na- like those sugar and white flour, like those are two of the the biggest products being consumed by people on a regular basis. It's in everything. Those are in almost every meal on an American's plate is white flour and sugar. Add meat and dairy to that. And uh, like I said, white potatoes. And you're basically <laughs> I bet a lot of people could count on one hand about what they're eating in a, on a daily basis.
1: And we're not even talking about like trans fats, the oils. That are in your yeah food. we uh, I had meant to look
0: into the hydrogenated oils I I didn't even get into that stuff uh, uh, I've
1: got a I know well I know a lot about them There's doing oil is one of those controversial things because you hear oh avocado oil is fine for you and then other people say avocado and same with coconut oil oh it's really bad for you no it's actually really good for you my go to is coconut oil olive oil and avocado oil because they're all expeller ex Expeller pressed oils or unrefined oils, which means they haven't gone through that whole process of hydrogen. Um, how do you say that word? Hy- hydrogenization.
0: hydrogenization. Yes, that's the is word. that so? Is that heating and spinning? Is that speed and heat? Yeah, or? they
1: they it actually kind of goes through the same process as we. They have to squish everything together. And then they have to—I know hexane is the main chemical they use to clean up what is being processed, which hexane in itself has all kinds of—it's a petroleum product that is dangerous to people. It's along the lines of propane. It's like in that class (laughs) of—and then they— have to process i just watched a great video on this last night too and then they have to process it even further to stabilize the because you have your mono monosaturated fats your polysaturated fats so they have to make it a stable a stable liquid because what happened that's how you get your high smoke points i'm not making sense because i know what i want to say and it's not coming out right but the more processed your oils are, the worse they are for you because they're, they're no longer – your canola oil is not directly from canola. You know, your soybean oil does not come directly from the soy. It has been ultra-processed to become soybean oil. Well, and
0: you see that represented in the price. You know, yeah, go to the store cheaper, and look yeah. at canola or vegetable oil compared to the price of olive oil. Yeah. It's an incentive to make you want to go for that cheaper, the crappier cheaper. stuff.
1: And you can find Expeller Press canola oils, which are a better option for you. They're not great, but they are a better option. Same with like Expeller Press sunflower and safflower oil. Those are another ones. You just have to be very careful. Your go-to should always be olive oil and coconut oil because those are always – or virgin coconut oil because those are always Expeller Press. They're f- – they are not. They haven't gone through that process where they destroy all the nutritional value that is inside the oil. I don't know if that made and any sense. And some people will tell you not to eat any oil. Oh, so. I, yeah, is there what? is that. Yeah. Actually, when you go down the whole food plant-based diet, a lot of them say just eliminate oil out of your diet, period. I'm not there yet. I'm still okay with using olive oil <laughs> and coconut oil, but... Yeah,
0: We live in a toxic food environment, which is highly palatable processed foods that keep us addicted to them while serving us large quantities of calories without making us feel full. And that's what all of these refining processes you're talking about, they serve to play into that, giving us these very calorically dense foods that do not actually... Fill us up with nutrients, and they do not make us feel uh, feel full. They uh, it's like the ghrelin, the hunger hormone. All these processed foods, they don't trigger that. They don't make you feel full. They they're not comparable to the whole foods, and that's why even if like that olive oil versus the canola or vegetable oil is a perfect example, you do want to go for that more expensive option. It, it it does make a difference,
1: and always look for unrefined, yeah, and expeller pressed. Those are the two. Um, but let's mention while we're talking about what else they put in food, they actually put chemicals in your food that just are not good for you. Um, I have a whole list.
0: <laughs> of what, uh, just uh, kind of every, the preservatives, preservatives sweeteners, oh, we they... went over the, a lot of the sweeteners um, with, the um, what yes. is artificial flavorings, colorings.
1: Yes. Um, I don't know where to start with this because there's so many, um,
0: Yeah, just pick a spot and we'll roll yeah, I with it. I guess
1: we'll go with it. So some of the more pronounced chemicals that they put in your food. Um, actually, these five that I'm about to say were all actually banned in Europe. You can't even use this stuff in Europe. And the first one is titanium dioxide, which I found this one interesting. That <laughs> sounds good for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually an engineered nanomaterial made out of petroleum. And it's used in a lot of kids' candies, like Skittles, uh, shot sour the Sour Patch Kids. It's used in Jello, Starburst. Um, it has been linked to neurological diseases. It's a, in Europe, I believe they call it a Group 2B carcinogen. Uh, I believe.
0: And they're really just trying to stuff you with oil.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they are. So uh,
0: it was reminding me of a thought that I had where a lot of the foods and the horrible things we're finding in the processed foods are products of the industrial manufacturing systems that we have. And these are these are byproducts or just other products they can make with these. And then they're turning around and trying to sell them to us as food.
1: Yep, I agree. The next one I cannot pronounce. It is azodicarbonamide. I think that's right. Yeah, just take a good shot yeah, at them. it. Yeah, well, it's found in bread, mostly breads. It's acted as, as a bleaching and dough fortifying agent. It is also.
0: Read the ingredients on the back of your bread yeah. the next time you go pick it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Using a bread maker is very easy, uh, making your own bread if you're going to go that route. Um, what have you guys been eating a lot of? I the, like Ezekiel bread. The Ezekiel bread.
1: Um, I know Killer Dave's bread is okay, but it does have sugar in it.
0: It's just when the next time you go pick up that loaf of bread that you typically eat, just look at the back. Look at the back of it, because you're you're probably going to be shocked at some of these long chemical names that you're presented with.
1: Um, this was another good one. The R B S T R B G H. Is a bovine somatropin. It's a human-made variant of a hormone that is naturally produced by cows.
0: Yep, I and, I heard about that. Yep. Uh, there's all sorts of craziness with that, like early puberty in yes, girls,
1: which is directly linked with uh, breast cancer. By the way, the that too, er, Yeah. The, the earlier the girls go into puberty, and the later you go into menopause, the more likely you are to get breast cancer. Yep,
0: that's a uh, I think I have the full name written out. Recumbrant bovine growth hormone. There you
1: go. There's also the brominated vegetable oil that uh you find in Mountain Dew and Gatorade, which has been known to be cause neurological damage to people. Uh, oh the
0: Mountain Dew things, that's a whole thing just on its own. Well,
1: yeah, there's that. Um I hit so many. Hold on. And then yes, the food colorings, really bad. <laughs> There's two, no, three food colorings in particular you should avoid at all costs. Uh, that is the red number forty and the yellows five and six, because those are have been known to be carcinogens. They also cause ADHD and other neurological issues in children, and mostly it's children who are eating anything. with I was going to say colorings. I can't even
0: imagine how many different kids' yeah. foods that stuff is in. But
1: the you should stay away from any dye that has a number after it because that's a petroleum based product. <laughs> so just be aware of that.
0: Feeding you petroleum.
1: Yeah. Uh. then there's the whole nitrate nitrate debate with cured meats. Nitrates, yeah. The, well, there's two of them nitrates and nitrates. Oh, uh, I didn't know there yeah. was a difference. Um, they actually will, they actually mix with your saliva and your digestive enzymes and they create, um, they've been linked to brain tumors, leukemia, and digestive tract cancers. So there's that. Then there's also the BHA and BHT, which are preservatives that are supposed to inhibit mold and other organisms in your meats, your nuts, your desserts, your beverages, your beer, also another petroleum product. Uh, but the other one I wanted to point out, which I found very interesting, was the whole natural and artificial flavorings. Um, there are actually 700 synthetic chem- chemicals that fall under the artificial flavoring category. And the thing is, is they don't have to list what that chemical is. All they, can, they, all they legally have to say is artificial flavoring. So you have no idea what actually is the artificial flavoring. And the same also falls true for natural flavorings. You have to be very careful when you see natural flavorings because most of of the time those are synthetic flavors. There's like over, I can't remember the number. I think it's like 150 different flavors. chemicals that testers use to make a, t- you know, I don't, it's a whole thing. Look into it. It's a great rabbit hole to go down. But um, natural flavorings don't necessarily, are not necessarily natural. You have to look, if it says made from natural flavorings, more than likely those aren't natural and actually made from like the strawberry or the juice that it's made from, they were added in. You just have, yeah, it's a whole rabbit hole. Uh, yeah.
0: Did you have anything on MSG? I the... do have stuff on
1: MSG, um, and MSG is a really interesting one because it's actually it, it's actually a naturally based compound, and it was it has been used for centuries, especially in the Orient, which is the whole Chinese thing. You know, it's mostly linked with Chinese food. But what MSG does is actually creates a new flavor. It's called umani, U-M-A-N-I, which is what gives you more of that full flavor, almost like a meat flavor to a product. It gives it that more wholesome. But the issue with MSG is it actually tricks the brain into thinking that the food you're eating is actually tasting better than what you're eating. Mm. and that's why so many products, especially junk food, use that. Because when you really think about it, if you just eat processed food in its all natural form without all these preservatives or additives, it's going to taste like crap.
0: It won't give you that hit.
1: Yeah. And so they add the MSG in it to make it more flavorable. But at the same time, since it messes with your brain, it's actually causing – that's why you can't put your bag of Doritos down when you're eating it. Because yeah. your brain is being triggered, like, oh, this tastes so good, this tastes... But at the same time, it's not triggering that full hormone that you were talking about. Yeah, the, the ghrelin. ghrelin. So you just keep... Eat. That's why you can eat, like, two apples and you're like, oh, I'm full. But you can eat, like, three bags of Doritos and still be, oh, I still need to eat more.
0: No, Anuma and I are constantly on this of... I, I'm always telling... Just... Like with like with fruits or your you know your carrots your celeries, your stuff like that. If you're I mean if you're hungry if you're craving things just eat that stuff until you you can't you will get to a point where you cannot eat any more celery yeah. or you cannot eat any more apples or these these whole foods will fill you up. Where like you're saying with these processed foods it is so much easier to overindulge on them and to just. And you'll consume a ridiculous amount of calories, and like you won't even feel full you won't you and, won't... and
1: none of the calories you're consuming have any nutritional value that to too. them whatsoever so
0: so not only are you gaining weight but you are nutri you are you are starved nutritionally, which will then further mess up your hormones and and the the functionings of your body as it should work uh okay, so those were a lot of great things. I have a bunch of stuff on aspartame uh i'd like to let's do aspartame next. Okay. Let's do that. So aspartame uh it's insidious. Uh it bugs me. So one one issue I was personally affected by aspartame because I had to give up gum. I realized that basically any gum you go buy, I think now there might be one brand that is kind of targeting itself as a natural gum that doesn't have it, but even sugar gum has aspartame in it so mm-hmm. go when you're when you're standing in line at the checkout counter look at the back of most gums even if it has sugar in it it will have aspartame. i know why it.
1: they do that do you know why they why? do that because aspartame holds the flavor of the gun gum longer uh, that's why they do that
0: oh that would make sense that's why i like the gum i had cause yeah, the flavor would last, last a our, time. You know, that's why <laughs> so i was sucking out a lot of aspartame i had to give that up we all make sacrifices so uh this might be a little bit too in-depth with the history of it, but this, this is probably one of the most prevalent products out there, so I think it's worth going into. It was discovered by Searle in the 1970s, and it took them three attempts to get it approved by the FDA. Uh, part of that was because their studies on it, one of them was... They, uh, seven infant monkeys were fed aspartame, one died and five had grand mal seizures.
1: Was it, it wasn't even initially brought onto the market as a sweetener though, was it? I thought it was, I think
0: there were two rounds of it where I think it was approved as a sweetener at first as a tabletop sweetener. And then it was approved for later on for just any, you know, just put it in any product that you can just shove it in there. Um, and that was a it was improved. Oh, so in 1981, the FDA approved aspartame, which was under NutraSweet at the time as a tabletop sweetener. And then in 1983, it was approved for use in all the carbonated beverages where it's probably affecting most people in the carbonated beverages. Uh, NutraSweet is also owned by Monsanto. Monsanto bought out Searle. Uh, so we're dealing with a nice good old Monsanto product uh for the people out there who like looking into those guys uh, it 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 has all sorts of issues with it uh the the list of issues that arise from consuming aspartame is long and lengthy uh, they saw that it produced microscopic whole tum- uh holes tumors in the brain of mice epileptic seizures in monkeys and was uh Converted by the body into dangerous substances. Look into that because I've heard all sorts of crazy things about <laughs> of what the body <laughs> yeah. turns this stuff into. Um, there was also an EU study uh, talking about how aspartame affects pregnant women and birth weights, early birth, miscarriages, all that kind of horrible stuff from pregnant women drinking soft drinks. Uh, oh, and so what is aspartame? I thought it was a byproduct of aluminum or the steel industry for a while for some reason but what I was told is that it's aspartame is the fecal matter of the bacteria E. coli, a genetically modified version of E. coli, and it's genetically modified allowing them to feed the to feed this E. coli toxic waste and it defecates aspartame. So aspartame is the stool of this genetically modified E. coli, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> Yummy! <laughs> I, it sounds super appetizing. Um, so, like I said, there's a long list of consequences of of consuming aspartame: brain cancers, brain seizures, leukemias. The list was so long, I didn't even really bother putting it all in there. Uh, and another... we actually
1: know somebody. Who I'm 110 percent convinced she is suffering from aspartame poisoning because she has a lifelong diet Pepsi drinker and that's all she drinks. And she drinks large volumes of it. And yet when she goes to the doctor with all their health, her health issues, they can't explain what's wrong with her. And she has some very serious health issues.
0: There is a it's hard to describe, but there is a look to it because. I have told you, I saw on, on YouTube somewhere, it was another woman about her age, uh, basically being a Diet Pepsi promoter. Like, oh, I drink, you know, cartons of this a day, like literal cartons of this a day. I don't even drink water. I just drink Diet Pepsi, Diet yeah. Pepsi. And she had the exact same look as her, where you have this thin hair, this pale skin uh your
1: teeth rot out but that's cuz it so honestly uh
0: yeah. looks like a person who has been filled with formaldehyde and is sitting in a casket that's mm-hmm. the best way to explain it and uh, it is horrible um it's it's made up of three components uh 50% fen <laughs> Yeah, These exactly. <laughs> Phenylaline. All right, all right, all right. A chemical that transmit impulses to the human brain. Uh, 40% asp- aspartic acid and 10% methanol, which is a wood, alcohol, a poison. Um, aspartame is insidious. And the most insidious thing about it is it's usually consumed when people are trying to make a healthier yep. decision. And you're trying to That's lose That's the joke of it is you say, oh, well, I'm not going to go get this regular Red Bull. I'm going to go get the sugar-free Red Bull, which is now loaded with this poison in it. Whereas,
1: well, well, just to stipulate, all Red Bull is poison, period, but anyways.
0: (laughs) I'm just trying to tell (laughs) if you're going to go drink a soda, go get a soda. Don't don't delude yourself with thinking the diet option is any better for you. It's arguably even worse for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So you really have to be careful with aspartame. Um, Another one I just wanted to add in here. I don't know if this one is in the products anymore, but it's dimethylypolysilic. Silicane, it's a silicon chemical additive in fast food products um
1: i'm sure i've come I think it's it. <laughs> well i
0: have it written here it's illegal in other countries outside the u.s so it might yeah. still be in the u.s i'm not sure i just wanted to go off on a side tangent of uh because i'm out of the loop of fast food and that kind of stuff i don't eat there so i i don't know what it looks like really anymore because i haven't i haven't been there in almost in seven years so Uh, One thing, I I, I just was stumbling across uh, some YouTube videos of, you know, people tier ranking a fast food uh, menu. So they're just having all the items. And I was watching the video to also just like see what the food is that people are eating because people are obviously still consuming a lot of fast food. And when you look at these things, they're... You can tell that it's not food. You mm-hmm. can look at it, and you look at these buns, you look at these burgers, you look at these cheeses, and and you can tell, like like I said, they're a silicon based product. Like you can tell that these things are mostly plastic, the oil, these preservatives. They're just they, you know, you see those things of like you leave a McDonald's burger out for months and months and months, yeah, and it never there. decomposes, yeah. or the same with the fries. Like it's just these food when you just sit back and actually look at them they they are disgusting looking and you see how it's not even food and this is something i like the anuma set of you know these are these are edible substances these are not even food mm-hmm. and that's part of what has helped me just never even mentally consider going to these places is understanding that it is not food it is never even an option because it is not food you you should you should never you should just never be going there, especially. We'll talk about kind of eating out in general later when we talk about kind of solutions, but specifically the fast food. That yeah, stuff stay is away ne- from well. And I've, you worked in fast food yes, for a long, a long time. Long time. Uh, was there anything like that that you noticed there?
1: Well, I did work at Wendy's, and a lot of people say Wendy's is the better of the fast food. I don't know if that's still true or not because we did actually use one hundred percent beef, and we did have you know we fresh f- salads and fresh vegetables and all that, but I never actually... I wasn't awake at that time, so I couldn't have told you how bad the food actually was. i never been a fan of Wendy's anyways, but at least at Wendy's you can get a couple, I guess, different options, but you're right. Just avoid fast food altogether. I mean, if you really think fast food is a convenience, it's actually not. To me, it's it Much still more. takes and it now takes, and nowadays yeah.
0: it's not fast yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of time uh the last couple of times i've been in a car where people are ordering it i mean it it's a forever. it's a 40 dollars bill like it's yeah, not it's even cheap, cheap anymore yeah cheap anymore i know it's crazy uh, so expensive so there is just no reason to go there one thing i do if i'm ever even getting you know cuz the last thing for me was like uh, you know, And I, I've been clean off that stuff for about a year now or six months or so. And it, it, you know, it was like I was able to go get a Taco Bell burrito that was technically vegan. Mm-hmm. But that's part of what I say to myself when I ever even just get that urge. It's like that's not even food. And what I typically do now is if I am getting that craving for something different, I go to the grocery store, buy some ingredients and make something different out of my normal routine. So mm-hmm. that's that's the game I play with myself. And it's been working well, but I just you got to you got to mentally transmute it to where it's never even an option because it is not food.
1: Well, and fast food is dick. there's a lot of MSG in fast food, a lot of MSG in fast food. And so it has that addictive element to it too cuz people, you know, it 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 is an addiction. Yeah. People don't understand how much the chemicals that they're consuming affect their brain.
0: I've heard this talked about before and it's this idea of you can kind of tell how nasty and addictive a food is based upon how silent the table is right after everything's served, and it was something I noticed when we were down in New Orleans, where you know we constantly had to eat out. We kind you know, and it's Ugh, just all yeah, the same crap yeah. food of just meat and carbs and and French fries and but you know all this just fried stuff, and you can see how as soon as the meal is delivered, it is. It's the difference between being able to eat and still hold the conversation versus having both hands uh, dug into the plate and just silence and you're just stuffing and stuffing until it's done. So it's just an interesting observation you can make around your dinner table about seeing how people interact with food and I'll, we'll talk about later about how food for most people nowadays is an addiction. It is a drug. It's mm-hmm. not something that's thought about as a healing like something that is required for the body to live. It is something that is thought of as like how will this make me feel? Will this make me feel better? It, it's a, It's a drug addiction which as you said at the very beginning the unfortunate part about it being a drug addiction is that this is the drug addiction you can't escape from. Mm-hmm. This is the one drug addiction that you cannot abstain from and that's been the hardest part of my uh, journey through health and weight not weight loss and wellness is that you really have to get to a point where you can sustain yourself because you will have to live for the rest of your life with food, which is part of why I am such a promoter of of this of this plant based eating because I feel that it has done that for me. Whereas it after seven years, like, does it take effort? Like, do I still exercise? Do I still cook? Like, do I still do these things? Yes. But compared to how I see most people yo-yo up and down and constantly struggle and constantly have to be either cutting calories or switching diets or doing these, like you, you have to get out of that diet mindset. And and as I was talking about with what people even consider as health and understand that this is a long-term lifestyle change. This is not something you do for a couple of weeks. This is something that you that you bring into the essence of your being and you stop having these horrible chemicals and you start eating well and you'll it, all right that was that was a good side changer so uh aspartame as you said all the sweeteners all the preservatives all the colorings uh we got to talk a little bit about the produce and livestock itself the way it's grown unfortunately through uh over farming and just the industrial agriculture system we have food that is coming out more and more nutrient deficient. And this, I think, is why a lot of people nowadays are a proponent of blending and juicing. And I think it's part because in the past you would have been able to have a thing of spinach and you would have had double or triple the amount of micronutrients Mm -hmm. compared to what that bowl of spinach has now. And that's just done through horrible, poor farming practices and depleted land. Uh, I also know from firsthand experience that they feed the animals crap. Yes. Cattle are fed either corn, if they're lucky, I guess, because I know personally from firsthand knowledge that some cows are just fed sugar, yep. literal sugar. They just take all the all the stuff that doesn't sell or they buy in bulk from Dunkin all this expired Donuts, stuff a big one. and feed the cows processed sugar. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be eating any meat that's but people don't. People aren't even associating that, and and they say like grass fed. I again, I just, I don't know anyone who actually does that. And even then, if you're going into the store buying grass fed organic, uh, whatever, the the differences in terms of treatment of that animal, in terms of the situation of how it how it lives, uh, whether it was a genetically modified animal to begin with, there it's not that big of a difference. You have to go all the way to like you were talking about with the with that guy of the. What is it, the polyface farm or yeah. whatever it is? And I don't know anybody who's going out of their way to go to a farm like that and order part of a cow for but like I I just I don't know anyone who's actually in reality doing that. So maybe there are people, but I don't know any of them. Uh another problem with the cattle is due to their horrible situations, they are just fed crazy amounts of antibiotics and hormones. And it basically prepares us for a situation where eventually these antibiotics will no longer work. Mm-hmm. We are setting up the perfect situation for for new viruses, new pathogens to come along that will be antibiotic resistant and... That will just happen because. And
1: the funny thing is a lot of these illnesses that these cattle or chicken or whatever that need the antibiotics for are actually not only created by their living conditions, but by what they're eating, like mad cow disease. That's because cows were eating dead cows and cows are not meant to eat anything but grass. They're herbivores. But somewhere along the line, somebody thought it was a good idea to put cow manure in feed, like chickens are actually fed a cow manure blend, some chickens, I'm not saying all chickens, and those are what create the diseases. It's not because the chickens are just sick, it's because we've created conditions for these chickens and beef beef to get sick, and that's what's created, and then the FDA comes along and says oh, or the USDA, oh, we have to make practices to make this safer, when in reality, they're only making the situations worse in most cases.
0: They're the ones kind of rigidly casting that and, yes. and creating those systems that only further further it's doing. Uh, yeah, the food is what's creating a lot of the issues, and then they're just, and even, like, the antibiotics are used in such a, a wasteful way where they're not even the cow doesn't even need to be sick. It's just like one of the. You're, you're just giving it yeah. to the cow just to begin with. Uh, and they're also just pumped uh, full of these nasty hormones oh. because of that. Um, and even if, again, you know, this ideal grass fed organic cow, whatever, even in that case, you're still taking into your body a foreign substance, the flesh of another being that had its own structure for being it had its own hormones you know I imagine I don't want the hormones in me that make a cow weigh four or five hundred pounds or whatever they weigh like Mm I you're you're so even in that situation where they're not pumped full of these nasty things you're still consuming the flesh of another being that had its own it had its own structure for living that is not is not how what our bodies need because our body i'll talk about this later with protein, but our bodies are not these stupid machines that that just take in and it take in all of this this crap and use it they it needs to intelligently make what it needs any given day, mm-hmm. and it does that intelligently
1: oh it, we lost all the meat eaters now <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well, I haven't even gotten started yet, so the uh but switching over to more of the plant side of it is the uh the pesticides and herbicides. Yep. And I'll go into uh GMOs because that kind of goes hand in hand. Uh but yeah, so we're just spraying these nasty pesticides and herbicides with with GMOs. It's usually a a combo package. So you buy Monsanto seed and then you have to use uh Roundup or, yeah. or whatever the, the herbicide they're trying to sell you. Uh or the GMO plan also just make you know GMO corn that just makes herbicide and kills insects that land on the kernel I'm sure that'll just be you know be just fine for you to eat Uh, another thing is the proximity of these crazy uh, industrial uh, animal farms and the plant farms Uh, I had watched a crappy Netflix documentary called poisoned or something like that and obviously they didn't talk about how any of the actual food is poisoning you it was all about the uh, the poisons that the poisonous food carries And, you know, like the E. coli outbreaks. And if you're interested, look into that stuff. Like uh, Chipotle is a perfect example. Uh, I think if you look into all of the (laughs) all the crazy uh, foodborne illness outbreaks that a lot of these fast food restaurant chains have had, or specifically Chipotle, I know has had a ton of them. You might uh, think twice about eating there. Um, But a lot of that stuff happens only because they're directly spraying these large plant fields with the. With the manure from all of these, and just nasty infected yeah. uh, poor health cows. So right across the street is the spinach farm that they're they're spraying all this manure on. And so if the cows and this nasty E. coli and all this crap is uh, bred over in these agriculture farms, well now they're being thrown right onto all of the vegetables you're eating. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a nasty one two punch. All right. Uh, I kind of want to talk about GMOs for a little bit. That's fine. Because I'm sure I'm like most people where, you know, you hear GMO and you're like, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Man playing God, thinking he's better. It's probably not a good idea. It wasn't until I watched this one documentary that I did start to (laughs) really grapple with just how bad it can be. Um so the first is to understand, and you'll see this when you just drop, you know, we live in kind of a rural farming area and you'll see everywhere you drive, you have the signs uh, planted saying, this is the seed number that I'm growing here of this corporation, blah, blah, blah. And uh, right now, uh, almost all corn in the U.S. grown is a GMO. Yep. And as I alluded to earlier... <laughs> Some of this being corn that grows with its own pesticide within the corn kernel so that any bugs that come in contact with it instantly die. And then I guess they just assume that later on that'll be perfectly okay for our own consumption. And... There's a there's evidence now of GMO corns being linked to organ failure in lab animals and sterility. Uh, I don't know if I talked about that with aspartame, but sterility is one of those. Actually, almost all of these types of things we talk about
1: they affect the hormones and yeah, yeah
0: infertility and sterility.
1: Uh, Plus, do... don't forget the EM or GMO corn is not just fed to us; it's also fed to your cows. Yeah, back in your life, creating the same so,
0: issue. Yep. Uh I guess I have here written down that that uh they're also feeding cows, you know, plenty of other things like cotton seeds, having miscarriages, low births and dying. Um People are saying that GMOs are part of the reason that uh that are killing honeybees and monarch butterflies. I've heard that, yeah. Which I I have thought about because I remember as a kid we used to, used to get a lot of butterflies in the garden. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of a plenty of monarch. Just there there were a lot of butterflies around, and I, and I don't see many anymore. Um, totally off topic, but the GMO mosquito didn't that happen? It's but, in
1: Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was a whole. When we went down to Florida, didn't you see all the signs? Yeah, the but that yeah. was
0: before. But then I was I think it did actually happen. Yeah, they released. Yeah, these, they've released what gem- malaria proof mosquito. Uh, yeah. Holy crap. If you wanted to talk about giving people vaccinations, GMO mosquitoes would probably be a good way to go about it. Um, but, all right, so with GMOs, the uh, the one thing you need to understand with these is that this is not just a... It's not just a chemical pollution. It's a biological pollution. Yep. These are not... Like, with a chemical spill or pollu- uh, pollutant, you can kind of ward the area off, hope that it dissipates over time and that Mother Nature will take care of it. But the problem with GMOs is that these are reproducing organisms.
1: I actually watched a guy and he said, anytime they create a GMO, they're creating a new species. Yeah. So,
0: And that's why Monsanto will tell you that their goal is to have their organisms take over the entire biosphere of the planet. They want their patented trademarked product to be most of the living life in the planet. And it's scary to think about that reality, whereas more and more of these GMOs are released, they're going to just spread more and more and more. And then understanding also that GMOs, as I was saying, that they are live organisms that breed, they they pollinate just like any other plant. So they're going to go infect the natural species of these plants that are there, and you're seeing a lot of farmers having issues with that. So... The end goal of these these GMO corporations is to to literally take over the the biosphere, to take over the planet with their organisms. And they're changing the genetic code of the planet. Uh, and it's just when you start really thinking about some of that stuff, it it becomes concerning. And you understand why there are these large uh, corporate seed vaults where they're. Uh, Shoving in a lot of these natural species, like this Noah Arks, uh you know, type of thing, and and Bill Gates and the Rockefellers and all these GMO giant corporations, they're all into that kind of stuff. It's there's an uh, you can look it up. There's this Arctic seed vault, and I wonder, uh, I wonder why they're doing that because I wonder if they anticipate some issues arising where they might need those natural seeds to begin with. Um,
1: no, <laughs> nothing no, could go wrong nothing with that. Could possibly go wrong,
0: uh, and. The the other thing, so GMOs, it's kind of, nothing of value is even really gained from them, whereas, you know, how farmers did it in the past with hybridization, where you would just over time, a farmer and his family would develop the yeah, best crops, crops yeah. by by weeding out. I also didn't, like, I guess hybridization also goes to more extremes where you can kind of, like, you try to, like uh blend plants together physically in terms of stems and, and different things like that it's not just the selective breeding mm-hmm. uh but that's what one farmer was talking about where he's like you got to understand you know my our family farm here was growing uh i think it was canola seeds you know in over 50 years they had developed a a a good robust product that was good for the environment and and it grew well and was uh It was a hardy crop, and it just becomes completely wiped out by these GMO uh, canola products that are infecting from across the road. And you also
1: have to remember, a lot of people don't realize when you are gardening or growing your own crops, the healthier your plants are, the healthier the soil is, the less likely you're going to have issues with pests and weeds. It's all about... Better gardening, better. But we have so many governmental policies, especially when it comes to U.S. farmers, have just destroyed the soil. That yeah. you can't. You know, you have to have these products. You know, and there's no reason for that. There never was. But it's all about mass producing. You got to have. You know.
0: What I was trying to say uh, earlier, I wasn't really like the main use of GMOs is for. Herbicide tolerance. So these GMO seeds are typically designed to be used with a specific uh, oh. chemical treatment that is that is made by the same company. And a lot, some of these even have a self destruct that if they do not come in contact with this specific chemical, they'll they'll just die. They'll, just die. they'll yeah. die out. Uh, the farmers call it Terminator technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, looking into this, I get why people are are vocal about this stuff because it is, it goes even deeper than you might have thought before. Um, And then, I mean, that's a whole other thing of, what is it, like DDT and Roundup and all these other kind of horrible chemicals that have been, these herbicides that have been made. Yeah, DDT
1: was a pesticide used in the 60s and 70s, and they found out it's a forever chemical. You can't get rid of it. It's you will still find traces of DDT in water systems and soil systems because it just doesn't go away.
0: Yeah. So. And what does the overuse, like just with, like with the antibiotics, what does the overuse of these sprays do? Well, it's just going to make pests that become resistant, resistant to them. To them. Yeah. You're just, uh, making that process happen. That process has already happened where they use a certain chemical and pests become resistant to it and you need to move on to the next chemical. The, uh, Another thing to note is that GMO, 99% of GMO, uh, the global production, is in U.S., Argentina, Canada, and China. Yeah. Uh, And that's actually another gripe with the farmers where if they're forced to use GMO seeds, a lot of places like Europe will not even buy them.
1: That's why, why do you think we have such a big trading, China's one of our biggest trading partners. Yeah. It's...
0: Uh, All right. Let me just see here. I'm trying to sift through what I have here. So, yeah, we're talking about and also just this idea that you can patent life. Yeah, that that that, that rabbit hole. Uh, we don't want to go down that rabbit <laughs> hole <laughs> once that precedent <laughs> is set. Um, And this only further monopolizes the food supply in terms of these just these GMO crops going out of control. And I also get why organic farmers would be freaking out because this literally means the eradication of organic farming Mm -hmm. because you, you can just have a field of organic crops and it will become infected by these unnatural GMO plants. And that's something we should all be really concerned about because that's the type of thing that once you go there, I mean, how can you ever get rid of this? This is life. Like you're never going to be able to, they're just starting to throw these things out into the wild and grow them and grow them and grow them. You're never going to be, you have no idea what these are going to turn into or you're never going to be able to fully get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And then I just wanted to, I I think you've also heard about it. This, it was kind of also that same canola plant guy. He he uh, He was sued by Monsanto because he had his canola crop And Monsanto came onto his field, tested his canola crop, says, hey, man, you have our genetic code in your crop. Just the fact that Monsanto can
1: show up on your field and say, hey, we need to test your canola.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he argued they didn't even ask him. They just 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 went went up up and and tested his field. And. This is just, I mean, the government and the subsidies are already absolutely cr- crazy in terms of the control over farmers,
1: oh, yeah, they they totally support the big farm, big farm, not the organic, yeah,, and the small GMOs farmers. only further that yep. because
0: you you get locked into contracts mm-hmm. with these large producers of GMO seeds. Uh so I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to say on there. It's just Look into it because, like I said, before I had watched that, I was always kind of, like, yeah, you know, obviously that sounds like a bad idea, but I just never really thought about how how crazy that can, you know, just the idea of owning life, which we're already struggling and dealing with in other ways, but the monopolization of the food supply, the the that idea of biological pollution, that these are things that we have, you'll never be able to get rid of because they're going to breed into the natural plants.
1: Now, well, just remember, nature has a way of correcting herself and it may not be in our favor, so... <laughs> if we keep doing yeah. that
0: kind of stuff, yeah. All right, you want to head over to fluoride briefly before we get out of what is uh, making us sick? Sure. Uh, there's not much on it. Uh, you should look into it. The... uh I found it interesting that during the Nuremberg trials the Nazis you know it was, it was discovered that the Nazis were using sodium fluoride in the labor and death camps to make a populace that was more docile, controllable and this is a forced medication and it should be especially concerning to us because fluoride is in tap water and the the toothpaste and a lot of these Not just
1: that, but even the water that the industries use to make all the food that you're making. That's a good point. Yeah,
0: it uh, it will vicariously go into all of those Mm -hmm. those type of products. Um, But sodium fluoride, it's another one that has a long list of implications. Some of the biggest ones are sterility, reductions in IQ, bone cancers, and you should really look into it and... uh, We'll talk, I guess we should just say it briefly here because I don't know where else we would talk about it, but you got to filter your water. Yep. Uh, we have a less than ideal situation, uh, but I still feel like the Berkey's do somewhat of a good job of getting certain things out. Like we're not going to talk about it much, but chlorine, I've heard things about chlorine getting into the body and scarring the arteries, uh, Water is a vital part of your being, and there's a lot of nasty things in it, especially if you're on a city tap water. Uh, You also need to be careful of it when you are showering. You're more likely to soak in even more of these nasty chemicals when you are showering in a hot, steamy shower. You are sitting in like a chlorine gas at that point, which can mess with your thyroid. Uh, You got to be conscious of what's in your water and start actively working to ways of bettering its quality. All right. Yep. So that's uh, yeah. Let's just look here. Make sure we hit everything. Uh, we, we hit... didn't
1: touch about we didn't talk about salt.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about salt? We
1: can briefly talk about salt. Um, salt is another one that you will find in a lot of ultra processed foods because it's a actual natural preservative. And while salt by itself is not necessarily dangerous for you, it's the quantities that you consume. That causes the problem, and um, it's another reason why you should really stop eating ultra processed foods. Because I don't, there's been a lot of mixed things about salt causing heart disease. I know it used to be a big thing. Oh, you eat too much salt, it's going to raise your blood pressure. I th- again, I think it's a more individual. I don't think you can base that on whole populations. I think it's more of an individual thing but i also think it depends on the amount of salt that you consume
0: there's also different salts and
1: there's different types of salts um they actually purposely put iodine in your table salt because it was back in the uh, while back they realized that people weren't getting enough iodine in their diets and iodine has i I'm think not, that's
0: also thyroid yeah related. it has
1: a lot of Health and, benefits uh, to it.
0: There isn't a lot that has it other than a lot of sea life. so yes. I want to start getting some seaweed and, and trying out some of that dried stuff because it has a lot of iodine and yes. these other things. Uh, I think a lot of fish products do as well. I think they had they did it specifically because they the Appalachian area they noticed that's was also like yeah. heavily infected by it. So that's why. That was all. Like they started adding iodine to the uh, the table salt.
1: So I, salt is okay in small. I, I am not a salt eater. So I, the only time I ever actively use salt is in baking, and that's it. But I know, like my husband loves his salt, and he's one person who should not be consuming as much salt as he does. But just be aware that a lot of high blood pressure is caused by the salt that is found in the ultra processed foods because that is used. You, I, I'd be hard pressed to find something that is processed that doesn't have some form of salt in it. And just know that anything that says sodium is also salt, because a lot of people. I'm don't. sure most
0: people aren't, especially if you're eating a lot of packaged goods. Yes. it's like it's like sugar, where you're just you you have a hard time even understanding how much of it you're consuming. Uh, salt's my that's my uh, guilt one that I have to work on because I'm much more of a salt and vinegar type of person than a. Uh, kind a sweet. Uh, I don't know. I didn't say it earlier. I was reading this raw food book and it was talking about, uh, and I think it makes sense that part of the issue we're having is with all these sweets, these constantly sweet palatable things, is it's really destroying our stomach acid. Mm-hmm. And this is why when a lot of people do switch to plant-based types of eating and they eat these foliages and these vegetables, they they struggle with it because a lot of us just have completely destroyed stomach acid. Uh, so I he was saying that that bitter foods help the stomach acid and the sweeter foods destroy it and make it less acidic. So I just wanted to throw that in there while it was in my head. I thought that was interesting because I also, I like, obviously there are the sweet treats of nature, which is why fruit is so awesome. But a lot of these products in their raw natural states are also incredibly bitter. And we just don't eat a lot of bitter things because like I said, nowadays food is all about the most satiating, palatable sweet thing that you can get, not about what is going to nourish you.
1: Yeah. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. So I think we, uh, we picked all the other ones. I think I talked about everything about fast food. I really wanted to talk about, um, I got another observation, I guess, just from, like I said, one of those w- stupid tier list videos I had watched was the, was looking at the kids menus of these, uh, these fast food restaurants. And I want to say it's hard to imagine, but I know it's not because I, like we, we did it like, you know, this idea of taking your kid, <laughs> you're going to give them a yeah, junior Baconator, Bacon, yeah. here you go, kid. The, with your fries and set, your pop. Yeah, yeah, you're just setting you know. them up for that, that life of misery and that life of chronic disease. Uh, so I find the child's menu and those types of things, they're even more insidious. And
1: and even like the healthy stuff they promote, the milk. Is that necessarily healthy? I mean, or the apples that are sitting in preservatives that they give you in the little baggies. The, like, with
0: the, even a salad there. Like, you know, I wouldn't eat a McDonald's salad. No. No way. Alright. Uh okay, so this is one I want to talk about for a bit. So I think we're gonna go off on this for a little while. And that is another one that I think is a big detriment to the health of humanity, and that is the overconsumption of protein. Excessive consumption of protein. So first, and this is kind of interesting, uh I heard different things on this I went with uh this one protein was discovered by Gerard Mulder in the 1820s, 1840s. Uh, I heard it was discovered on like examining the body and the tissues of the body. And that's where the word protein gets its name from the Greek word proteos, meaning of prime importance. And the guy in the Proteinaholic book kind of describes how this can set this up. It set protein up to already be inherently misunderstood mm-hmm. because Protein is of prime importance when you're looking at the skin, organs, uh, tissues, muscles of the body. Like that is what our bodies are made up of is proteins. But that got misconstrued into that protein is of prime importance to the diet rather than of prime importance to the body, if that makes sense. So you can kind of see how that was already set up to be misconstrued in Again, people are just eating absolutely ridiculous quantities of animal uh, animal flesh. Um, and, and you I are...
1: can get protein from other sources. It does not have to be meat. You can get protein from avocados, olives... Well, what I'm going to get to
0: is that proteins are made or up of fat. amino acids and any food has well, amino acids yeah, in it.
1: But it's not a complete protein. That's the one thing I kept coming across. <laughs> it's not a complete protein unless it has these nine amino acids If you in eat it. more
0: than one food a day, you're probably going to get all of your <laughs> amino acids. Um, so I watched an interesting video with this Dr. Zach Bush guy. It was an interview on this Commune channel I've seen before. And so I wanted to go into it a little bit. This will be the most sciencey I get with it. Again, I feel kind of, I don't know, I didn't even really need to do any of this because again, this is just, I just know that this stuff works. I know that this is the proper way to eat. You can say that it's the proper way to eat for me, whatever. I don't really, I don't really buy into that nutritional relativism as much. I think the relativism with food is much more on your eating patterns and habits rather than necessarily what is good for you. I think a lot of people like to throw out the nutritional relativism to just justify consuming what they're craving rather than what's good for them. Yeah. But there is still flexibility, there is still obviously differences in people, but I just I don't like that idea of starting with, "Oh, well, I am a completely different biological being than you, so I can completely justify my different eating behaviors, which is usually because I like to eat crappy foods. Uh, Anyway, that started off on a tangent there. Um, He was talking about some interesting stuff, uh, talking about how even in the U.S. pre-World War II, we were much like other countries where the... The meat wasn't nearly as excessive as it is now. You know, it might have been more of like, we're gonna have the the chicken on the Sunday family dinner, or it was just a small little additive to meals. He was talking about this uh, this uh, propaganda thing that was going around at the time of send your chicken to the send your yeah, chicken to the I've troops. This, yeah, uh, kind of showing the trying to like demonstrating to the public of how important animal proteins are. Animal proteins, animal proteins. Um, so after World War II, the consumption of chicken exploded. Oh, and I just realized I had uh, later. I'm going to talk about the psychology of carnism, and I had looked up. Uh, you can go to this website called the Animal Clock, and just looking at that website, and yeah, you know, I don't really know who runs it or whatever. But you can go to other ones too, and it's just uh, when you include sea life, which a lot of people like to throw out. But you know, we're talking about like. With with sea life, 43 billion animals a year are being killed in the U.S. alone. To feed us. And obviously when you remove, sea, you know, like 40 billion of them is sea life. But again, I'm not one of these people that are like, that fish don't feel pain. Like it, they've all they've proven all of that, which is why, unfortunately, fish usually get the worst of it because they're just being cut up and ripped apart alive because they're like, oh, well, fish don't feel pain, blah, 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 like, all this horrible stuff. Again, getting off on tangents. Um, so the one thing to understand, and I I think this is just one of the, even if you are going to consume animal products, just understand that these are dense foods that take a long time to digest. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem arises here when you have people consuming three large meals a day that all will be centered around protein, like a heavy, dense animal protein. And he talks about a 2002 study where they 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 fed young americans you know young college students an 800 a standardized 800 calorie meal uh and they used uh, pizza for it where you kind of that's kind of just the typical american diet you got your flour in there you got your cheese you got your meat it was a you know it was a meat heavy pizza and they just uh they they analyzed how long it took for that food to go from stomach entry to the end of the colon and it had a transit time of about 14 hours so you can see how if you're eating three large meals a day with animal protein, you're basic you're you're never you're not done digesting that previous meal by the time you're eating again. Yeah, yeah. You know, That's if you point. if you wake up and eat eggs and bacon by the, you know, right in the morning for breakfast, by the time you go to sit down and have a chicken salad for lunch, you're still digesting a lot of those dense animal proteins from before. Uh, and what this does is it creates this excessive protein consumption and that becomes a problem because you get blocked up. Your small intestines become backed up with all this undigested protein that's waiting in line to be digested and you're just consuming way too much of it. And I don't need to go through all of this. I one thing I want to emphasize here, and it's just I, I take the protein thing personally. All right. <laughs> I, I know have you had do. for seven years. <laughs> I have had to listen to people say the absolute craziest You know, uh the one of the examples is at one of our last family gatherings, uh I had done a really long run and I was just making you know, she asked like they was just asking me like, Oh, you know, what were you up to? And I was like, Hey, I ran twelve miles today. Like I was proud of that. And what was the first question back at me? Guess what the first question back at me was?
1: Did you eat any protein before? Where you do you ran? get your protein?
0: <laughs> Where do you get your protein? So I take it a little personally just because I hear this kind of crap all the time. And I understand that will never go away. I could be a 220-pound stacked bodybuilder and I and say something, say to someone I'm a vegan and I will still be questioned of where you get your protein. So that's just the, the goal here is to try to just remove us a little bit from this idea that protein is only acquired in animal foods or to even think of protein. pro When you consume an animal protein, it is not, directly used by your body. Your body must break it down first. And that's what we're going to talk about because your human body is an intelligent, complex thing. Your human body has over 400,000 unique different proteins that it creates out of just 22 amino acids. And that's incredible. The, the other crazy part about that is that's why we get to things like epigenetics, because they were shocked when they saw that the human genome only has around 20,000 genes. So how does 20,000 genes create 400,000 proteins? Well, it must mean that a single gene can choose what protein is going to make for any individual situation. And this is very empowering to you, especially if you're sick, because this means that, that your environment, your experience, your thoughts, your emotions, everything that you're communicating to your genome will Will literally create a different you, and that's extremely empowering knowledge to understand, especially if you're someone who is chronically sick nope. I got, no, I got, you can you start talking I gotta read my notes sure, you, got, you no. can't have it silent no it was <laughs> a
1: very valid point um I think I think protein is I, from the videos I was watching, a lot of them dealt with the nutrition. I think what people don't understand is you find protein in pretty much all life.
0: Like, anything has, has proteins because anything has amino acids, acids
1: to it. Because that's how they, grow, that's, how they grow, that's how they grow. That's how they reproduce. They have to have that mechanism in them. So even when you're eating your beans, which is a good source of protein, your body and your body absorbs the beans better than the whole meat because your body is designed to, to also deal with the carbohydrates and all the other macronutrients yeah that come with I don't and know you you
0: have there. your you have i believe it's eight of them your eight essential amino acids those are the amino nine. acids there's, there's nine, nine there's that nine. you have to receive from diet yeah all the other ones your body creates on its own and i was like i lost my train of thought It's just, I want to emphasize that when you eat animal products and you eat animal or any, it's really any protein, it is being broken down into glucose to then be used by the body. The body does not just instantly use animal proteins or any proteins to make muscle in your body. Your body builds muscles with glucose by making amino acids and then making proteins. So when you're eating these dense animal foods, you're really just creating more digestive Stress and effort that your body requires to break these which things down, which also
1: causes the insulin resistance in a lot of people. That, that's yeah, where that where that meat link, the link of meat yeah, and diabetes. diabetes.
0: All right, so breaking foods down, Um and then you have your. All right, sorry, I got a lot of notes to sift through. A little disorganized here. Um. Yeah, the crazy part... Okay, here we go. This is what I was looking for. So the crazy part of your body only having those 20,000 genes and being able to create 400,000 unique proteins for itself, and your body ultimately uses glucose as its fuel. Your brain runs on glucose. And that's why I was reading this kind of pop book, this... Uh, This book called Fit for Life, Not Fat for Life. And he talks about this a lot. And I I I liked this book, even though, you know, you can tell it's kind of a a poppy, mass-selling book. I really liked his he tried to break nutrition down into one rule, and I like it. And it's just eat more living food than dead food. So if you were trying to break nutrition down to one rule, I think that's a pretty solid and he's obviously talking about. Uh, cooked foods and processed foods and things like that's what he considers dead food
1: yeah well we also should probably bring up the rule we should have brought it up when we were talking about the ingredients it's my favorite rule when you're reading a label if god didn't make it don't eat it <laughs>
0: that'll keep you living <laughs> that, that long. will
1: keep you living longer but keep going
0: so protein itself cannot be directly burned it must be first converted into sugars, and that's why uh, the reason I brought up that book was that he talks about how cool fruit is because fruit, fruit's main sugar is fructose, which is a monosaccharide, which is the same as glucose, which is a monosaccharide. Which means fruit, there is no real digestive process yeah, it to food. It to just you. is instantly absorbed. It's instant energy, and not only is it instant energy, you do not have to spend energy to get that energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been learning how energy and test in uh intensive digestion is this is why that whole me meme of you sit down after thanksgiving dinner and you just got to pass out because you are you're just loaded up with all this stuff and you are spending an incredible amount of energy digesting these foods because the same thing happens with complex carbohydrates or starches, which are polysaccharides. Those also need to be broken down into monosaccharides. So just understand everything you put in your body is being broken down into a monosaccharide glucose of then, which it is being used by the body. Uh And by going with these high dense protein foods, you're really just lengthening the the distance from getting there versus if you're eating more of these carbohydrates or fruits, which is uh, important to understand. And this process, uh, so this is what the, uh, what the carnivores and the keto people exploit. They exploit the body by tricking it into a state of starvation where you're not giving them any of these sugars or these carbohydrates, and then which case, in which case your body must go through a catabolic process. A ca- uh, ca- ca- uh, I can't really, I'm struggling with that word. It's the opposite of metabolism, where with metabolism, you are building things up into proteins uh, in the body versus catabolism where your your body is breaking down the proteins to then turn into glucose and then do other things yeah, fuel the body. Uh, Alright, I think that's about pretty much everything I want to say in here. It's just you gotta be, you just have to be aware about how much you're consuming because this all gets backed up in the intestines and it just leads to all of these these nasty uh, these nasty, toxic, acidic substances like ammonia and hydrogen sulfide. And this is a, the process of, pu- uh, putre, I'm really struggling. Putrefication. With- <laughs> yeah. Putrefication, uh, where all of this stuff is sitting in your colon, in your gut, and it's just fermenting, uh, fermenting by the bacteria that's down there, uh, messing around with it. And all these undigested things, uh, create these ammonias and the hydrogen sulfide which uh i guess are actually used in agro in um, big agriculture you'll see like different uh trucks with the big chemical symbols on them yeah. and it, you know the ammonia or hydrogen sulfide so uh yeah i think that's all i really wanted to say i'm just i'm having a hard time trying to talk and parse them me, and the
1: mention on top of it A Chicken is my big one. I'm going to emphasize, unless you're going to kill your own chicken, do not eat chicken. Because chicken, when it's first taken to the, what do they call it, the processing plant, they automatically bleach your chicken, and then it goes through a whole bunch of other chemical processes. Do not eat chicken. But anyway, so you're eating this chicken that has all these chemicals in from being processed, and now it's sitting in your intestines. I, yeah, you know, it's the same with the beef, with all the antibiotics that they use. That's all just sitting in your body. And some of it doesn't even really go away. <laughs> It just sits there and accumulates, and that's how you get your cancers.
0: And these these stuffed up things lead to things like leaky gut, which is yep. associated with a lot of autoimmune disease and just chronic inflammation. And if there's anything I've noticed from stopping eating animal products, it is just the lack of inflammation. I used to have acid reflux. You know, the, it gets into the yep. back of your throat. I had that all the time. I would have the uh, I can't, what's it even called? I can't the stomach burn like that. Heartburn. Just yeah, yeah, yeah like heartburn. No,
1: I had horrible GERD. And I also had irritable bowel syndrome. I also was told I was suffering from arthritis, but I'm not going to lie, since I've changed over I and I don't eat meat anymore. And I really have, I do eat dairy once in a while, but almost all that has gone away. I just don't have those. I mean, once in a while, if I eat too much, you know, I'll have issues, but it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. And it and I attribute a lot of that. I, I attribute to not eating meat, I also cutting back my sugar intake too, because I know sugar also irritates a lot of that. But
0: Yeah. So I just wanted to emphasize there, meat takes a long time to digest. Be wary of how much and how often you're consuming it. Understand that It's just because the way people speak to me, it seems like they actually think that eating an animal protein will directly be used by the body. But your your body is a unique entity that is intelligent and has over 400,000 unique proteins that it creates for its own self on any given day. So everything we put in the body is broken down into sugars that the body then rebuilds up.
1: And it figures out on its own what it requires, what it
0: needs. Uh, And part of his argument as to why plant proteins give you less of this oh my god this world uh putrefaction is that they are more balanced in terms of also containing fiber and carbohydrates Mm -hmm. so when you have that balance it's not stacking up and it's passing through you a lot easier yeah all right i think that's pretty much everything i wanted to say there uh i just i get triggered with the protein thing um and i like i i like thinking about it now as Understanding that protein is made up of amino acids and amino acids are found in everything. Yeah. So when you understand that, this idea that you can only get protein from animal complete sources. Complete
1: protein. That's what they focus on because that's yeah. what a complete protein is. It has all nine essential amino acids in it. Is That's what the argument is.
0: I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I also just understand if you eat more than one food a day, you're most le- you're going to hit. All yeah. I guess isn't a perfect example beans and rice beans make and a ri- yes. make a complete
1: protein at the end of the yes. Yeah. So and you throw some, you know, vegetables in there, some carnivorous. Which ones are the more protein? Is it can carnivorous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower? Yeah. Spinach. Spinach actually has a lot of protein in it
0: a lot of those dark yeah, leafy so greens do it, it's it in a lot it, yep. your nuts your seeds they, everything contains uh proteins in them uh all right i wrote a little subsection here and it's entitled the the next great calling is already here yeah, I saw uh, that. I, so i wrote this because uh you know the date is 11 26 2023 and I am going to put it in the red book right here on the podcast that you know the next war is clearly coming. Oh yeah. The next big war, the next calling, the next mass uh killing of people is uh is going to be here very shortly, but we must already we must understand that what we are living under right now is already killing us and is already the new calling, but it's not so much an active calling like war, but it's more of a passive calling where What this does is it provides an easy way for people to just do a slow suicide. It creates a situation where people will voluntarily poison themselves with these foods, which obviously we're talking about today, how a lot of people don't even understand that these foods are poisonous. But a lot of people will sit around and complain all day about how sick they feel.
1: Yep, that's (laughs) my favorite. That is my absolute favorite. My mother does that all the time. Oh, I feel my back hurts, my body hurts today and I'm like, okay, well, did you eat an apple today? What's the last time you eat something fresh? You know, Yeah. Just
0: So this is the passive calling of the apathetic, the ones who And when you push these people, when you push these unhealthy people, what do you almost always get to? It's just a version of I don't don't care care.
1: or I'm too old to change my ways or.
0: And once you hear those words, once you hear I don't care. Well, there you go. There isn't really anything you can do other than waiting until that person changes Mm themselves. Because once those words are spoken, there isn't really much else you can do other than continuing to try to influence them for the better and hope that one day they wake up and decide to care uh but that is the death of care that we're witnessing in society. So just understand that this is a soft kill operation. You are being poisoned, most of your food is poisonous and the calling is already happening and the way to uh the way to get around that is to educate yourself.
1: Yeah. I also want to point out that I think in our society today is we have become so far removed from where our food comes from. I mean, how many people do you know actually have ever stepped on a dairy farm? We have, because our my daughter works on a well worked on a dairy farm. But have you ever actually been? You know, do you know what's going on? Have you ever actually watched an animal get processed to be eaten? My guess is no, because I've never even seen it you know have you ever grown your own food do you even understand the process of that you know no, we most do most people have no idea but most people don't
0: and i think you would witness profound lessons just on viewing the difference of that viewing the the organic, beautiful plant life that you're growing and eating from versus if you grew a cow or chicken or whatever and then tried to kill it and eat it and consume mm-hmm. it. I think those would be two very different experiences that you would be able to actually associate with your food. But we'll talk about that disconnect more when I talk about the psychology of carnism. Okay. Uh, Do you want to talk about the dairy egg council beef council all those guys
1: uh, I can briefly touch on them um it's actually the Na- dairy national dairy council it's the american egg board and the national cattlemen's beef association um the only reason why i brought these up in our earlier conversations is because it is unbelievable to me how much power these three <laughs> organizations actually have when it comes to controlling government policy They're huge lobbies, huge lobbies. It is because of the Dairy Council that you can't just get water for free in your school lunch. That was actually a policy instituted by the Dairy Council to push dairy instead of water. Um, But I just found one of the things I found very interesting... I'm going to I actually got this off of the uh National Cattlemen's Beef Association website word for word. And the history cuz the thing is all three of these were created by the government. And they say they were funded by the farmers who wanted it. I yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that, but for instance, it says the history of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. It says the state beef councils began to develop in 1954 and more than 30 existed before the beef checkoff, which I'll get into a minute, became law in 1986 and received 79 percent producer approval. Only 79 percent, by the way. This wasn't 100 percent approval during a 1988 referendum prior to the beef checkoff. Producer dollars for national promotional efforts. This is about promotional efforts (laughs) flowed primarily from the state level. Today, states continue to ground the pro, uh, yes, ground the program. It's where a dollar per head checkoff assessment is collected, and where the decision making process begins for these grassroots producer driven program that markets beef around the world. Do you understand what they're saying? They're basically saying these organizations were created to promote the product. Yeah, absolutely. Not like to, you know, no policies for safety or because we have the USDA and the FDA for that. But the beef checkoff was very interesting because I'd never heard of it before. And it, the Beef Checkoff Program is a national marketing and research program designed to increase the demand for beef at home and abroad. This is right off their website.
0: That's all these are. That's they are promotional are. agencies trying to get you to consume more and of the product. M-
1: most of their, like I, I stated earlier, most of the governmental policies are from like the Dairy Council or from research based on scientists who are paid and funded by these councils or by the corporations who want to sell their product. It has nothing to do with making you healthier or the safety of our food. Nothing at all. I thought that was interesting. But that's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, they're just promotional agencies trying to push a product on you. And well And these
1: well, were instituted by the government. It's not even Oh, these are These government are government agencies. policies. Okay. Yeah, the well I don't know if the national, but the policy of the beef checkoff was actually implemented by the U.S. government. It's a policy.
0: Hmm. All right. So those guys sound fun. Seem like They have our best interests oh, at yeah, heart. Definitely. Uh, I think we've already talked about most of this. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and it's just funny when you listen to uh, or you watch different podcasts, is these three agencies here, the uh EPA Environmental Protection Agency, the Food and Drug Administra- Administration, the FDA and the USDA. They they kind of all regulate different parts of the agriculture and farming businesses. So whenever you're watching these documentaries and you'll see heads of these different organizations on the documentary, their excuses are always like blaming the other. It's like, "Oh, well, the the EPA covers that. The FDA we don't <laughs> cover that at the FDA or the F- you know, it it's just this round robin of blame and just This incompetence. I had it written down as the trinity of incompetence, but I don't think it's incompetence. I think it's intentional. I don't think these people care at all. Well, actually, I
1: think, um, because that book I read, Everything I Do is Illegal, I think he actually made a very valid point. He said, you could say that a lot of it was intentional, but he says after dealing with all the bureaucrats that he has dealt with, he says deep down, they actually believe what they're doing is right. And I kind of believe that. I think bureaucrats... You know, oh, I work for the USDA, so I uh, know for you know, I want I have people safety is concerned is my main concern, and I think they just have that so ingrained in their head that they can't really focus on alternatives because they've been taught that what they're doing is the right thing,
0: and that's part of the compartmentalization and the hierarchy. As, and like
1: the... my his he had one example. Um he used to, do, or used to sell his eggs to a local restaurant. And the thing is, the restaurant had an outbreak of salmonella. And the, even the chef said he th- thought that the salmonella had come from something that was left on the counter overnight, which is, you know, what's going to cause it. But the health department came in and they noticed one of his eggs had a small speck of dirt on him. And apparently if an egg has a small speck of dirt, it can't be used. And so he got blamed for the salmonella poisoning because his egg had a little dirt on it. And they didn't even test the egg to see if it was the source of the salmonella. They just said it was a dirty egg, so that must be what caused the salmonella breakout. Yeah. And, I, and that's uh, just the classic example of what happens.
0: That's, uh, that's a great book. I highly recommend that book, The uh, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. He talks about a lot of good stuff in there of how... They're not able to open air slaughter... Animals like they have forever. You know, they've, when you. You
1: now have to take it to an approved processing plant. And that processing plant could be hundreds of miles away from your farm. And it's
0: processing animals from From all all around. So now all of a sudden, even if you had clean, healthy meat, it's now going to be stored and butchered around all this other meat that you have no idea how people are taking care of it. So I highly recommend that book. Uh, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. Do you know the author's name?
1: Uh, Joel Selm. Starts with an S. I know his first name was Joel. Yeah, well, I'll have it linked yeah. in the in the it show was notes. A, it was a good read.
0: Um, he also talks about like the the joke that is like the who? What are the inspectors at these different uh, butchers and things, or you know these uh, these fast uh, animal. Uh, You know, like you just have an inspector sitting at the end of this chicken line as chickens are being, you know, mass butchered past them, and you know they're quote unquote inspecting Inspecting these things, and they're just sitting there with like, like it's just.
1: My favorite story was he was talking about chicken. Um, He was if he sold chicken in Virginia, which is the state they're out of, he could sell it without it being USDA approved. But if he went like thirty miles into DC. In order to sell those chickens, they had to go through a whole routine to be inspected by the USDA. So, like, and his point was, what, 40 miles is going to contaminate my meat, you know, (laughs) like what? But here I have to do, like, hundreds of miles to get my meat or USDA certified. Where is the safety in that? There is no safety because they don't really care about your safety, but...
0: And that's where their main service service is monopolizing the food supply yes. and making life oh, as hard as possible. Oh, it's definitely designed to support
1: route. the big farm or big farm industry. There's no doubt about that. Yep,
0: it just rigidly casts it. Uh, did you want to talk about the the big guys at all? You know, your PepsiCo's, your Monsanto's, well, your I did, Canagra's.
1: I did find a list of the ten top food companies of 2022 by gross. uh, Yeah, because if
0: you, I think some people understand this, but when you go to a grocery store, you will see all these different brands, you'll see all these different labels, you'll see all these different colors, but what'd you just say, 10? Well, this
1: is the top 10. There are more, but these are the... It
0: is way more consolidated Consolidated, than you would think.
1: Because PepsiCo last year was the number one, which PepsiCo not only does Pepsi, but they do a lot of junk food. Uh, Tyson Foods was the second. Neste was the third. And then there was a company, JBS USA, which I had never heard of. No, I haven't. But um, I counted because they had all their companies on there who fall under them. And there's actually like 66 meat companies. And I found it interesting because some of them were organic meat companies. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Well, it's
0: the same with Tizen. Tizen is in all sorts of different Yeah,
1: but they primarily deal with chicken. But yeah. Uh, Kraft Heinz was five, six is General Mills, seven was Anheuser Busch, which I thought that was interesting. Mm. Uh, eight was Smithfield Far or Foods, which is another big meat. Um, nine was Coca Cola, so Pepsi and Coca Cola are in the top ten grossing. I thought that was interesting. And then Cargill was number ten, which Cargill is an interesting one because not only do they deal with food, Cargill's like Monsanto, they deal with agriculture, industri- industrial products, personal care products pharmaceutical products so that's you know yeah i, I
0: wasn't was... uh familiar with monsanto but i highly recommend going down the monsanto oh, rabbit hole. Yeah, i know people are <laughs> go right down direct. that one alone um they were the uh producers of agent orange the defoliant in vietnam yep. uh and uh what was this bst additive in milk and you know it's just <laughs> this idea that the the people who made a agent orange are making your food yep. or ma- are growing your crops it that's absolutely crazy, and uh, we should really question that. So, uh, why are we being made sick? It, it, it's the simple answers of the, of the typical control mechanisms of depopulation, of infertility. They don't want you to have kids. They want you to be sterile. They want your hormones messed up. They want you docile. They want you foggy in the head. They want you confused.
1: And there's also the element is they have to fuel the medical industry because the medical industry is all about taking care of you, you know.
0: Yep, everything we're talking about today will set you up for that yep. life of being in the medical, medical system where you will just be a cash cow, just mm-hmm. a and most as we've talked about, most of the chronic diseases are going to be things you suffer with for a long time and that's why like diabetes, what do we like 400 billion billion, it's because of those products and those uh those treatments that they can just just charge you up with and it's uh it's absolutely horrible because you just you uh you think you're a victim of the disease but you're a victim of this complex that is profiting off you. Mm. So again, uh you got to understand that your food choice it it you have a choice and it is profoundly impactful on your health. You are not just a victim. You do not need to just instantly fall into the trap of the medical industrial complex. Uh and another big one is obviously if uh, talking about with the GMO, like you control the food supply, you control the people. people it's just yep. like energy. I mean, uh, there's a reason that you know big corporations and and big public figures are buying up all this farmland because when you control the food that's put on the American plate or in any country's plate, you're the one with real with real power. power. The only ones, uh, the only other ones challenge you would probably be the bankers, as we talked about in the last show. Yeah. Uh, so there's plenty of reasons why. You would want uh, to poison the people, to make them sick, to make them unhealthy. It's the same with uh, with obese people. Obese, you know, you're not going to be able to defend yourself. You're not going to have a body capable of performing any sort of, of defensive maneuver or or just anything like that. I, but you know, I, people aren't thinking about that kind of stuff because we live in our magical, yeah, the government will take care of bubble. Us. Yep. Uh, Okay, so that was a lot of negative stuff. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) There's
0: a lot of negative stuff when it comes to food. But there are positives, which, again, starts with the idea of choice through knowledge and coming to a better understanding, a higher understanding. You have the ability to change and change for the better. Uh, I wrote down here, I just wanted to get out one of the funny points that it's ironic how, you know, you go vegan, you go plant-based, whatever, whatever. All of a sudden, you'll start getting bombarded with questions of, is your diet complete? Are you healthy enough? Like, are you getting all your nutrients? But if you're sucking down burgers, if you're eating your yeah. pizzas, if you're eating your process, <laughs> no one ever stops to ask you, like, hey, is that diet healthy? Are you getting everything you yeah. need in that diet?
1: No, I'm a meat eater, but I eat at McDonald's. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> you must be getting all your nutrients, <laughs> your complete protein.
1: Actually, that you said that. I did, did I tell you I downloaded that thing about the B12
0: Oh no! You want to talk about B twelve? We can talk
1: about B twelve for a second, because B twelve is the big one. When you go plant based, that's the one thing everybody tells you or asks you, where are you getting your B twelve next to your protein? And um, so these are the facts that I got on B twelve. Yes, you find B twelve in animal foods, including meat, milk, and eggs, um, and are ex- essentially the exclusive source of the vitamin in the American diet supply. That is truth.
0: My question. I th- are. I assume that there is some out of the gate, but they are inject like they are uh, added.
1: Hold, hold on, I'll, yeah, it's in there. There are two varieties of el- edible algae. The dried green algae and purple algae, seaweed. See, we got to get on that f- I know that, we got to get on seaweed, <laughs> Have been found to have active B12, but other algae have inactive B12 analog ca- compounds that have no apparent benefit in animal metabolism. So there is a source for vegans to get B12. Some varieties of mushrooms and some foods may. With certain fermentation processes, have small amounts of active B twelve, which I've heard. And then plants found in our food supply do not contain B twelve, though plants grown in experimental settings with B twelve enriched soils or waters can contain B twelve. But in our system, in the United States, forget that because our farm, our plant, our farms have been depleted. Their soils are very nutrient deficient. However, how do animals get the B twelve? They absorb B12 made by their gut bacteria in the case of ruminants like cows and sheep. So it is made in their their gut bacteria. They eat poop like some rodents do. Um, So that's also how they get their B12. And they have a bacterial, they can have bacterial contamination of their food, so some some farmers actually feed them sup, you know, B twelve supplements, and they eat animal source foods like other animal flesh and milk and eggs, which cows are not supposed to. That's a <laughs> just so you know, cows are not supposed to eat meat. Cows are strict herbivores. Yet, in the especially American farms, they are fed
0: sugar, sugar, corn, dead meat. animals, yeah,
1: <laughs> things they aren't. So, yes. B12 is only produced by animals that is a safe way to eat in the American diet, unless you're going to eat algae and seaweed, which we're going to look into. But you can get supplements for B12. And we could also look into growing some of our vegetables in a B12-rich soil, which well, I never thought Well, from my about.
0: understanding, is just any soil that hasn't been chronically over-farmed. Farmed, yeah. Like none of this would be a problem if we were... You know, rolling around in dirt, eating dirt. That's why I imagine also with cows, you're you're pulling the grasses and stuff right off the ground. That's Yeah, that's so you're yeah. you're taking up a lot of that stuff. It, it's a yeah. So there's plenty of ways to get it, but it is important. Like I I do I I feel the difference. When, well, the
1: f- ironic thing was is I have had a B12 deficiency for years, and that was while I was eating meat. No, that's so. Uh, I
0: I forget what the the number of the statistic is, but. A lot of people have a B12 B12 deficiency, deficiency, even though they are meat eaters still.
1: And vitamin D is the other one. But vitamin D is as simple as going out into the sun like three or four times a week. Even if it's cold, if you go out in the brightest time of the day, if the clouds are clear and stand out for like five to ten minutes, you will get more than enough vitamin D. Yeah, you just got to get out for your shirtless runs. (laughs) Or walk your dogs. That's (laughs) what I do. So... There are other ways of getting it, but anyways, so that was B12.
0: I put down this idea here that is uh, pretty impactful in any aspect of life, especially shadow work and other spiritual teachings. But it's this idea that, uh, well, we're talking specifically about health here. That health is more about removing the bad stuff rather than finding the miracle good stuff. Yeah. People are always looking for that miracle pill, that that magical thing. But in any realm of your being, it's more so about what you must stop doing before you start. Taking up the good habits, uh, so if you're listening to this, the most important thing is to just stop consuming the things we had talked yeah. about previously. When I first
1: started, that's all I did was I got rid of the processed food in my life, and that you know, and then I just. Okay, well, I'm feeling better. All right, maybe I'm going to cut back on the dairy I'm eating. Okay, well, I'm feeling better. Maybe I'm going to start throwing more fruits and vegetables into my meals. Oh, yeah, that making you know, it's a slow, I've been doing that, and I'm still not where I want to be, but it's just a gradual process. And I say do it gradually. Don't just one day wake up like, well, you did it that way, but. I I had a
0: period of being a vegetarian, for, yeah. which was still, I mean, going for I cannot emphasize how much, like. I only ate meat, cheese, dairy, flour, like sugar, flour. Like it was the diet was crazy bad. So even going to being a vegetarian and still having all those other options, uh, it was still a, a challenging jump. It was still flipping everything over. Yeah. Uh, I like the general rule. I've always liked this. I heard it a long time ago, but going for color. I think that's a yes. more holistic approach yep. to thinking about your diet and your food. And that was actually something I really thought about. Uh not even that long ago when i started to really ditch all of like i don't eat uh any of the you know animal store bought products anymore maybe once in a while as like a as a treat if we're going up to the cabin or something but it's it, it's no longer a daily consume uh, consumed item for me anymore and part of that was from remembering this principle of going for color you know if you're if you're cooking i heard heard someone on like a tlc show or something say like the you know the brown plate And this is what a lot of people eat. It's the, you know, oh, I'm going to cook up some nuggets. I'm going to cook up some French fries. And there's my dinner. And you're looking at it and it's just this brown, just mush. So that really inspired me to start going for more, you know, really remembering it's about the vegetables. It's about the fruits. It's about this wide range of colors on the plate.
1: And just remember, the more colorful your fruit and vegetables are and grains, the healthier they are for you. They contain more nutrients. Just fun fact. They represent the energies
0: contained within. Uh, I also put this down. One careful thing when you're consuming store-bought products, especially fruit, and the guy in that, uh, uh, what was the name of that book? Fit for Life, Not Fat for Life book, he was talking about how you really want to stay away from pasteurized fruit juices. Uh, Like, for instance, all those naked things, you don't want to have any of those because they're all pasteurized. You want to just make your own smoothies, make your own juices. Uh, Just do all that yourself. It's the same with the almond milks and, you know, if you're going to do any of that kind of stuff. A lot of
1: the plant – that's the problem. When you start going to veganism, they think, oh, so I'll just drink plant-based milk. Those are not very good for you, especially the rice milks because there's a lot of sugar in them. You have to be very careful. The only brand I have found to date is the Elmhurst. They do oat milk, soy milk, I think almond milk, where they only have three ingredients. It's the oats, the water, and salt, and that's it. So unless you're planning on making your own food. Which plant, isn't that hard to which do. Which isn't hard to do. You know, just be very careful. It's the same with the meat products or any of the processed vegan foods. Like I said, especially like vegan butters, they're, yeah, they're really horrible. bad for it's you. All it's all hydrogenated it's oil. Oils, so it's, and
0: that just brings up a good point that this goes for... I, I identify this in keto people as well. Uh, vegans and keto people both suffer from this. When you first go over to these diets you are kind of naturally promoted to go to more processed foods yeah. rather than more whole foods. So that's just like you're saying with the vegans, you got to watch out for all those fake meats, all the fake butters, all that crap. Just get rid of all that stuff. And with the keto people, it's all the carb stuff. Well, okay, well, now I'm worried about carbs, so I'm going to be eating all this heavily processed carb-free bread and, and, yeah. and all these other things. So either thing, either side you're on, you got to be wary of falling for that trap of going for more and more and more uh, processed foods instead of the, the whole foods, which will really make you healthy and well. All right, I wanted to put here my uh, my principles for losing weight. This is what I'd tell you if you asked me how to lose weight. Uh, it's not glamorous, but it'll get the job done. The first is you have to change your relationship with food and fundamentally change the idea that it is a drug that provides you feeling. Uh, which you can still get enjoyment out of food and you should still get some enjoyment out of food because that will allow you to stick with it with this new lifestyle for a long time. But you cannot have it to where you're only worried about how it'll make you feel. It's only a a drug and an addict relationship. You, you have to transmute that. Once you work on that, you change what foods you eat, you change how much food you eat, you change the frequency and patterns of your eating and you find an exercise you love. That's how you lose weight. Yep. It's not glamorous, but that's the truth. The A big one is finding an exercise you love. Uh, I, I'm so glad Enuma did with swimming. You know, it, it works. Find something that you enjoy doing. Exercise is amazing. We didn't really talk about... There's quite a bit of things we could have talked about, but we had to say, like, food was big <laughs> enough alone. We could do, like, a general health... Maybe we do that at the end of the pharmaceutical one or something, but... There are a lot of other general health things. You know, we touched on water a bit, but exercise is a big one. You know, your body will atrophy if you don't use it. Get up and use your body. Uh, Exercise, mental health. uh, So many people would benefit from just going out for a run, go lift some weight. That's why I enjoy hiking. That's why
1: I picked mine because I just realized the peace that being outside brings when you just take a walk and observe nature in its raw form
0: when you stop moving you die keep walking yeah. weighted walking is fantastic like you were just, like the hiking and putting a loaded pack that's a full body exercise but
1: and i did it <laughs> no i'm proud of you for doing it was It was only two and a half miles to get to the campsite but and it was a heavy pack but i did it it was hard but a you lot, can do it yeah anybody can do and it And you
0: have to start somewhere uh and completely throw out that i don't know you always hear people making excuses like oh i don't want to go into the gym people will judge me people like from my experience of being in gyms for a long time you're if you show up and you and you work hard, and you go to work like no one cares. Yeah, they don't care. No one, no. no one is judging you for that. So just stop making excuses for yourself. Get in and there.
1: Anybody can hop in their car and drive down to the closest park and walk. Yeah, go it's for a as walk. As simple as that.
0: I'm a big fan of walking. Walking will keep you alive. Yeah. When you stop moving, you die. And if you have an animal, if you have
1: a dog, just take it for a walk. They need to walk they too. They need to walk too.
0: Uh, so that's uh, that. Those are my recommendations for weight loss. Uh, I, I
1: would like to add just one more thing. Um just do it slowly if you are overwhelmed. Just take your time at it. You'll notice improvements as you go along. Just take your time with it.
0: Yeah, uh from what I've seen, you either go slowly or you go super fast and eventually you'll know when you go too far. Yeah. Uh you'll you'll hit that bottom and you'll feel it. And you have to then figure out where you're... The hardest part with losing a lot of weight is figuring out how to find that balance at your new weight and understand... The uh, how much food you should be consuming at this lower body weight, and just getting an idea of what it takes to really balance yourself and recreate that equilibrium at a lower and, uh, body yeah, and weight. And find
1: that's, the, I think that's the key is to individually figure out what's good for you. You know, what's good for you isn't necessarily good for somebody else. You know, everybody is different, so you got to figure out what your sweet spot is. Don't focus, Are you talk,
0: especially with weight, like, with like weight, weight yeah, especially yeah. weight, you know. Yeah, that's really important. So, uh, We've already we've talked a lot about the whole food plant based diet. God didn't make it, don't eat it. You know, your pro no processed food, your sugars, your white flours, your salts, your preservatives. Uh stop eating out. <laughs> yeah. I was just about the <laughs> All right.
1: Although when we like we went to Philadelphia a couple weeks ago, and I do not eat out at all. I do not eat out. So it was a little hard. We did end up going to Moe's because that was a common Ground, even though moes is not great for you, but we did try Indian food for the first time, and I actually enjoyed it. That was great, and yeah. I'm glad. I don't know how whole food friendly it was, <laughs> but you know, so I guess just be very selective about what you eat if you have to eat out.
0: I just think people eat out way too much. I think. Oh yeah. I don't I think mean, I think this is where we're in our little bubble of not. I just, people are eating out pretty much every single day like actually yeah. almost every no, single I, day. We
1: used, to be, we used to eat out a lot. Yeah. And,
0: and, you know, at maybe eating out at a sit-down restaurant one to two times a week. Uh, people are eating out a lot. I can't
1: even stand sitting in a... Uh, <laughs> it's horrible. Sitting what in a restaurant What is one thing
0: about that experience you enjoy? Yeah, I, I You're don't. getting food that you have no control over. Yep. You know, these chefs, they want you to enjoy the food. So what do you think they're going to fill this food with? A lot of salt, sugars, fats, lard. MSG. Like, <laughs> they, 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 they want you to have a good experience there. They want you to enjoy the food so obviously and i'm not
1: saying all chefs are like there are some very health conscious chefs but you're going to pay a lot of money for that food
0: yeah, there and, are, and there me, are health restaurants, restaurants, but, but people yeah. aren't going to a restaurant like that. They're going to a regular restaurant and then trying to delude themselves into saying, I'm trying to pick the healthiest thing on the menu here, where in reality you should have just stayed home and cooked yourself a yeah. meal. no, I agree. Because when you're cooking and learning how to cook, I, we haven't talked about, like you need to learn how to cook for yourself. Uh, most people, especially young people my age, they don't know how to cook. Yeah. yeah I went out to a uh, a friend's apartment not that long ago and you can just see it like they have no idea how to cook so that's why the processed foods are completely relied on because mm-hmm. there's just no ability to to do that cooking process and, it's and to bring hard. things hard if together. you can
1: boil water for your mac and cheese you can boil water for the rice it's <laughs> yeah. the same concept folks same concept
0: uh the next one involves your own food you know raise if you're going to eat meat raise your own meat Kill it yourself, take responsibility, yeah, start a garden that I, that's been a great experience for us. and mm-hmm. like you were talking about earlier with that connection to the food and you're watching these crazy plants do crazy things and and climb up and root themselves up onto high trellises and just watching these almost alien like life forms in the way they operate it's it's absolutely fascinating to witness, just as I'm sure it would be to have your own livestock and go through that experience so. Take responsibility of your food in general, plants or animals, and you'll be you'll be far better off in terms of of, of health like yes. you, you're
1: and you'll also notice like this is my big thing is I love growing my own lettuce. I love salads. But I've gotten to the point where I've so spoiled with my own lettuces, I can't stand store bought lettuce anymore. Even you see like how the or yeah, even the organic stuff. It's no, awful. organic
0: produce is never going to compare to your garden no, produce.
1: I, and we really need to get the lettuce going again cuz I really enjoy And it's healthier for you, too, because it's not processed in any way. We cut it right off the plant. It's not and sprayed. You know,
0: it, like if there's nothing yeah. sprayed on it, you know what the it hasn't journey been washed of its life is. or is. Yeah.
1: We didn't even talk about irradiation oh, no, I, we didn't. of uh, produce. How, when you sell produce in any supermarket in the United States, it has to go through an irradiation process, which kills the nutrients, as it's, it's like getting radiation you're you know when you're getting radiation for cancer, it's the same concept, except they don't inject it they just pass it through but
0: yeah, it's not very i good. also uh more of my own I've heard other people talk about it, but I know people think this is crazy I don't you don't use a microwave yeah I i don't i've I've heard the things like if you microwave water let it cool and then try to grow a seed with it, it won't grow. I've heard interesting things I kind of want to do that as my own experiment. I just, I stopped using the microwave a long time ago and I have no regrets. And I don't really, when you when you really do get to Whole Foods, you'll find that what do you even really need, the, need microwave. the microwave? You need to microwave because you're cooking everything. Yeah, the only anyways. thing would be like heating it up, but you can do that on the stove. You, you There's other ways of doing it. So if you can just avoid the microwave entirely, do it. Uh, and like I said, that's mostly going to be associated with your processed, preserved foods that are just your quick fixes. And if you are going to go out and purchase things. Do you want you you want to talk about this cuz you have a little more experience with the the Amish stores? Yeah,
1: I you the grocery stores so, well like all things some grocery stores are better than others. But I think um and then it goes to going to the local food supply if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Um Amish stores tend to have uh more localized produce or uh, not necessarily produce but like, rices, and that's where I actually get a lot of my rices from the Amish store in Warsaw, because they actually sell red rice, which you can't find anywhere else, and they also have a lot of other locally produced... While
0: we're talking rice, I really like, what is it, the wild rice, the black rice? Yeah. That stuff's really good.
1: Yeah. Um, Farmers markets are another one because then you're not only supporting your local food supply, but you're getting much better produce because it's been grown and hopefully they haven't used the pesticides and herbicides. Some do, I'm sure. But uh, roadside foods, we get a. I, I know that that's not very common throughout the United States, but where we live in particular during especially the summer, there's all kinds of roadside food stands. People and if just you're growing. trying to
0: get the cheapest stuff,
1: yes, the cheapest produce. I mean, you're talking
0: like a quarter for a zucchini. Yeah. You know, you can't go wrong with that stuff.
1: Um, there was one other I was thinking of the other day, and I forgot to write it down. Maybe it'll come to me. But so try to shop more locally. Like the places you wouldn't normally think to shop, go and try them. <laughs> you know, like the. Especially farmers markets. I'm a big promoter of them. We need to go more often. We don't go as much as because the closest one is kind of far.
0: No, we need to go more. And what you're speaking to is also something we didn't really touch upon, but that's the globalization of the food supply. This idea of shipping produce and animal products and just all of it, just all around the world, just... Rather than eating locally, eating seasonally, uh, like if you eat fruits or vegetables that are seasonal, there's uh, a much higher chance that it will be a locally sourced mm-hmm. product rather than being exported in. And ideally, we would live in a world where you are eating much more locally, you are exchanging locally, and you're not you're not having to outsource and export and or import and bring in all these. These yeah, and if you're in away.
1: that, you know, they, there's all kinds of pluses to that. You're supporting your local economy, and on top of it, you're helping the environment if you're going down that route. I mean, there's all kinds of pluses But to a big it.
0: problem with that is that, like we're talking about with the government policies and the current stranglehold on farmers, Uh I, I forgot to bring up, like, my, my little farm uh thought I had where I was walking by the local town garden, and it triggered me. Because there wasn't a single vegetable yeah, in there; it was all, all flowers. Yep. And then I look across, uh, look across from this little garden, and there's this pretty sizable farm field. And obviously, what is it? Just full of? It's just full of corn. And as we talked about you know farmers are mainly just growing corn which is then not used locally it's just shipped off to these big corporations to be fed to cows to use god knows what with also by the way part of the big argument with gmos that will end world hunger world hunger hunger could already be ended we already have plenty of produce plenty of crops Uh, a big problem with that is we're super wasteful with them we go and take all this massive quantity of crops and then feed them to cattle, feed tons of water to cattle. Those cattle create insane amount of pollution and dead zones and all this horrible stuff. Uh, So we're incredibly inefficient with it. We already have enough food on the planet Earth through our technology to make sure no human being is hungry.
1: Yes, in most cases where there's the biggest element or the biggest populations of hungry people – the it's actually the governments that are creating that situation it's not that the produce isn't available or the food i believe available. i said it on
0: the last show uh some guy had a quote of talking about bankers and he was just like any child that starves to death in today's world was a child that was murdered and that's the truth yeah. uh anyway, i was talking about this little farm idea uh because I look across at this big cornfield and I think to myself, imagine if this one field alone was just full of a diverse range of vegetables, especially I love the ones that you can just go pick routinely all summer, your zucchinis, your squashes, tomatoes, tomatoes uh, the peppers, peppers yeah. and thinking about how many people in just the town could, li- could live and f- and have all of their summer produce off of just that one field mm-hmm. if they were just growing a diverse range of crops? You get some apple tree, you know, you get your fruit trees in there and just thinking about how different that food supply would be. But instead, we're just surrounded by all these farmers and none of this food is being fed to it well it's in a very long way around yeah, being fed, fed to fed us in a yeah. not very good chain of processing uh but
1: it- it's actually kind of weird because now that you bring up corn i mean i remember growing up because we live in a very um rural agricultural area and growing up like it come end of july beginning of august you could get sweet corn anywhere like you could go anywhere and buy a dirt cheap You can't find it anymore in this area. It's all gone to that the GMO corn, the the corn they feed the cattle. It's not sweet corn anymore, and you know which I bet part of those
0: contracts is you have less control over having some excess that you'll sell locally. Well, you can't
1: eat that corn anyways, but it's not designed to be you know eaten. But it's just those small changes that you notice. You just can't get the produce you used to be able to get to.
0: Yeah, I just I it. I just look at all these farms and just think about all this food that could just be yep. fed to local people and there's a lot around and here, yeah. It's uh crazy to think about where all of that's going and all that energy is going. All right, so we've talked about all the uh the physical aspects. I want to wrap up with just some spiritual stuff, some more whole, you know, truly holistic views of food. Uh and some of them are just uh around there's little observations I've I and other people have made. Uh one of them is looking at animals in the wild and you do not see an age difference nearly as much as you do with human beings and this is where i just challenge this idea that disease is just inevitable that with aging just comes all with because people assume that with aging well i'm gonna just get foggy in the head i'm going to just be tired all the time i'm going to just be sick like people really actually think that and i just challenge that idea of that being a natural thing i i I think you can live a long, happy life without any of these medications, without any of these diseases. You just, you have to put a little effort in. You have to educate yourself. So that's an interesting observation to look out into nature. And another one I have is I get tired with all these appeal to nature uh, arguments that every single person makes all the time for for veganism or for carniv- carnivorism or for keto or like any of this stuff. The Back in the day, it was paleo. Uh, to me food should evolve as we evolve. As we become more and more complex spiritual beings, our food and our food choices should evolve with us. So that's my opinion on that. It's not, it should not Yes, you can look at the past as a as a as a viewpoint to look at the future, but the food should be flexible and evolve with us as we grow and evolve. Another one is carnivores in nature. I don't really get this whole fascination with trying to identify as a carnivore. When you look at carnivores in nature, we're not
1: even kind carniv- of our I know. I, I, Again, I
0: we could have gone into so many yeah, different. I know. You could argue about the anatomy of the human body uh, not being set up for that. Uh, can we eat meat and survive? Yes. yes. Is it ideal? I argue highly not. Uh, which is why you know, in a time of survival, and uh, this was an interesting point in the Proteinaholic book. We we are at a point in humanity where chronic disease is killing more is more of a threat to our lives in America anyways than what were all the like like the pathogens and disease or malnutrition in the past. Mm-hmm. So in the past, you actually did have a risk of just starving to death or dying of infectious disease. Those are much, much less likely nowadays. And nowadays, our biggest killers are actually just obesity and chronic disease.
1: Yeah. Actually, now that you mentioned that, there was another thing that I thought uh, that I was going to talk about for solutions and that kind of ties in with what you're talking about is foraging i
0: yeah. don't
1: think people realize the gathering part a, of a, hunter and yeah, gatherer and i don't think people realize if you looked out if you have a backyard chances are very good that you have got something growing back there that you can eat dandelions are the perfect example
0: most of what we consider so, weeds are edible
1: yeah a lot of weeds are edible we have we have crabapple trees, which we didn't even know we could eat the apples off of until this summer. <laughs> yeah,
0: don't diss the crabapple. <laughs> don't, don't
1: diss the crabapple. So when you're talking about, um, you know, as we evolve with our food and people are talking about survival, if you're out in the woods and you're starving to death, are you going to exert that energy in killing the deer or the rabbit or fishing or about foraging for some stuff you know yeah get some it would be a combination but understand, vessels, yeah. mushrooms you know
0: it takes a lot of energy, energy yeah so. yeah i people absolutely and i mean we're also looking at an earth that is not nearly as biodiverse as it was in the past i mean it was even more yeah, readily available time. in the past where you could just go around and pick things and eat and That, uh, just by the way, understand that. I mean, if you're home, like, you can literally just eat weeds, you can eat grass, like, you (laughs) there is no risk. Chances, if you
1: look, you're gonna find a right, especially up in our area, you're gonna find a raspberry or a blackberry or a a blueberry bush. That's been our thing this summer is just picking all the berries berries as we go by. I'm not saying that's the case in our areas, but in ours, it is.
0: Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, carnivores, I think. Yep, uh. So those are all good points that came out of that. I just, when you look at carnivores, you're always looking at, there always seem to be, well, there's one thing of they're always, they they never seem to be satiated. They're constantly kind of prowling around. They're constantly kind of moving, roaming. They, you know, they're looking for that next meal uh, because they understand that it's very energy intensive. And it's and it's. another thing with carnivores, and this is just a gripe I have with the people who exert their their desire to eat meat is that, you know, when when you watch animal footage of, like, a lion or, you know, any carnivore going after a prey animal, they are usually risking their lives to get that that prey animal. Damn. Like, if, when a pride of lions is going and trying to, to get a bison, or, you know, they... No, it wouldn't be a bison. Yeah, I know. I, I know I messed that <laughs> up. <laughs> There's no bison in Africa. I know. I uh, but when they're going to get that, that meal, they... You know there's a good chance they'll they'll just get a good stomp to the head and they could be killed. Like they are risking and spending their energy and putting their lives on the line to get that meal. And I don't see a lot of people doing that, even hunters, because even hunters I judge, because, oh, big manly hunter, you're sitting there with your gun, killing yeah, an animal yeah, from a distance, yeah. like, you'll give it but gonna a But we're going to eat all
1: the meat off of it. Yeah. Okay. I,
0: that's great. I I would say I'd respect a hunter a little more than a person who just blindly goes to the grocery store and, and tries to completely disconnect themselves with where their food comes from. But anyways, those are some just... Just observe carnivores in nature, and it's not really an animal that I would want to strive to be or emulate. I don't understand the fascination with people trying to identify as them. Uh, I also want to talk about this idea that ultimately everything we talk about with food is sun energy, which this is an interesting thing with plants. Plants make all of the amino acids for themselves, whereas animals do not. Uh, so that's just an interesting thing to understand and that p- plants are the initial creation out of the sun energy. And so when you go and eat an animal, you're really just getting nutrients from an animal that ate plants, yep. which is also an interesting observation that you really only eat herbivore and, er, uh, I don't know if there's an uh, but...
1: omnivores. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I was Herbivores. looking for the,
0: like the plural phrase, like the, you know, the act, uh, the phrase of that. But anyways, okay. uh, yeah. Just understand that, uh, I'm getting distracted. Just everything we're talking about here is ultimately sun energy, and for me it doesn't make sense to eat an animal to get the sun energy that they got from plants rather than just directly eating the plants.
1: Plus you also, I also like when, uh, Mark Passio talks about the, the heart chakra is green, and what is most of plant life it's green, green because balance. that's mother yeah mother nature nourishing us that's one way to look at it spiritually
0: another thing i think about with you know with these more spiritual holistic aspects is like we said at the very beginning you are what you eat mm-hmm. and i also i like to say this to people i like to imagine that if an omnipotent alien species that was way more powerful than us showed up on our doorstep I would not want them to treat us as the w- the way we treat animals. Yeah. I would not want them to look at us as a, a lesser powerful being and just eat us. Like I w- I would not want that. So I would not do that to another species because I understand that holistic perspective of of karma and what you put out there. And, you know, I'm not going to participate in any of that. I don't think I'm going to read much of this, but I read a great. Little like sixteen-page paper. It was published in 1913 by C.W. Leadbeater. I think I've heard the name before, but I, it's, this was the, you know, the first thing I'd read of him, and it was called Vegetarianism and Occultism. So I recommend reading that if you can find it. Maybe I can link it up with the with the uh, with the show notes. But he talks about some similar things of. You know, for man to truly evolve, he must leave the position of, of the hyenas and the wolves. Like he, you know, he needs to evolve his food as he evolves. We should treat our food is a perfect example of where our consciousness is at. And we should be looking to increase it as uh, as we increase in our spiritual understanding. He had this interesting thing of saying, like, the moment the animal is killed, decay already begins to happen. And also animals and your cells are constantly making excretions and all and all of these toxins that the blood and everything removes out of the body. And so the instant that animals killed, the blood is no longer removing things. So you're kind of sitting there and decays already happened. You have all these substances just sitting there yeah. and you're eating all that. You're eating all this in the flesh. Uh, another interesting point he brought up So I looked this up and other people were saying like the Spartans were eating like blood and crazy things like that. But he says the Spartans (laughs) were well known for having a plant based diet. I think they ate fish and, you know, other things, milk and other things like that. But it's just, again, that, you know, when you because I'm talking about this like masculine mindset, that's mainly what I'm targeting right now is this this manly man idea. And when you look at the Spartans or the gladiators, they ate a lot of plants and that's the truth. The other thing that was interesting this was I actually really like this point is he talked about observing intense laborers in the countries that create the convenience of our life. Yeah. And he just talks about these Indian workers or these South American workers where they're just low they're they're carrying and you can just look pictures up of the, like just these these people who are these intense laborers moving incredible amounts of weights up and down hills, back and forth between places. And these people are poor. And guess what the poor mostly eat? They eat they plants. Do.
1: Well, that was what the whole China study was based off of. They are not big. Eat. The, well, the populations he was studying, they didn't eat large quantities of meat. Some of them didn't eat meat at all. And that's, you know... They survived. They were doing for them. Actually, they're healthier than most Americans are. Uh, Not so much the case anymore because most of China has gone over to the Western diet. But that's that's just it. Whenever you hear people talk about cultures and how healthy they used to be, and then all of a sudden they're introduced to the Western diet, and all of a sudden they have all these diseases. Well, hello, the Western diet is predominantly a meat-based diet.
0: Hello. (laughs) Which I think I had said earlier, but that's just my one gripe when you talk about processed food, when I hear anyone talk about processed foods, they always leave out meat. Yeah. And I just, I cannot like just the meat consumption, especially in the American and and European culture is just, it's incredibly out of whack in terms of what a lot of meat is processed. It's it's a processed processed food. food. Yeah. I just, that's just one thing that bugs me is they usually leave that out. Uh, yeah. So I think that's pretty much everything here. Uh, I kind of read it a little quickly. So I, I highly recommend checking this one out. You know, he talks about the idea of the multiple bodies. You know, we we don't have just the physical body. We have the emotional astral body. We have the mental body. And what we do to our physical body affects our other bodies, obviously. And it uh, I just and that's part of why uh, I wish I had gotten that that uh, animal clock thing of just talking about how many, you know, they had a the thing when you're on the website and it's like how many animals have been killed since you've been on this site and stuff like that. And you really just have to sit back and understand how crazy of a bloodletting ritual that is. I mean, and he talks, he was talking about uh, Chicago a lot. Which I guess around you know the early 1900s, Chicago must have been a big center of slaughterhouses. It was, yeah. And he just talks about people being able to go there and just feel the energy of it, just just feel what all this death it just just leaves into the air. Just it's horrible stuff that, and we don't even see it. We don't see it or associate with it at all, uh, because. He also talks about how ultimately animals are like our low. We are all of the divine. We are all here as sentient beings and animals you can just perceive as our lower brothers. And that's not for us to exploit. They are for that. We are there to work with them. We should be wardens of this planet. We should not be exploiting and ruining the Mother Earth in every possible way that we can. And industrial agriculture, plant and animal is a big Big, way in which we destroy the Mother Earth. Yep. I also really liked this, whatsoever a man does through another, he does himself. Yes. Really internalize that. When you go, because most people would say, well, I don't want to be a butcher. I would never want my son. He talks about the mothers who, like a mother would never want her son to be a butcher because he would, she would understand how horrible being in that slaughterhouse would be, how how much PTSD and how much, like it, literally a case for breeding psychopathy by working in these places and these horrible working conditions and that mother wouldn't want her son to do it but she'll ask another son to do mm-hmm. it and and just the the contradiction of that so
1: well its your sister worked on the dairy farm and i know it was just a dairy farm but the stuff she saw <laughs> just working at a dairy farm it's crazy you know she was exposed to a lot of death because i mean sure death is a part of life but a lot of it wasn't necessarily necessary like you know because you pen up these poor cows and of course we're all taught that cows were bred to be docile like they are and that we need to take care of them which is fine but you don't need to abuse them if that's the case it doesn't
0: i heard an interesting story of uh in this next thing i'm about to talk about as we wrap up here that uh, there was a cow that had, gave birth to twins, but they only, you know, because when a cow gives birth after it's been inseminated, they instantly take the cow away. Yeah, the cow, yeah, the cow they deal. separate them. Yep. And the cow, so they took the one away because I guess that was the only one they had seen. But this cow kept coming back and wasn't being milked because you know, it just wasn't producing how they expected to. And then they found out that it had another calf hidden in the back of the farm in the, by the woods and over by the area because it... So the cow was demonstrating that it understood that its children was going to be ripped away from it because this was the fourth or fifth time it had been inseminated. Mm-hmm. So it hid this child away away from the farmers to try and to try to, to save keep connected because yeah. cows are connected to their calves even though we ripped them away from them. Yeah. All right. Uh we got to wrap this up. The I'm losing my voice. <laughs> uh this was absolutely amazing i watched it on mark passio's arc if you can find it i highly recommend you watch it it was an hour long i think this is a presentation uh i think her name is melanie joy and it's called carnism the psychology of eat meeting this was absolutely incredible and one of the things i liked about it so much is that When we talk about this word carnism, you could actually just replace it with authority or government and it would directly apply. Mm -hmm. So she talks about the basic things like, you know, like the animal, the human animal connection, you know, how that idea of how it's perfectly okay for us to have uh, meatballs on the plate. And that's totally fine. But then if the. Person tells you, oh, that those meatballs are made with golden retriever, like all of a sudden that You're is not a, gonna eat yeah, them. like so that that gap, she calls it a gap in our perception. And what that gap in our perception does is it strips away our choice. And you just have, you know, that's something that a lot of people are aware of, of that gap of why we choose, oh, this animal is okay to eat, this animal is not okay to eat. And that's just a complete severing of any conscious connection between the meat on the plate and the animal it comes from. And this is how you create a, a guilt-free meat consumption. It it only comes out of a gap in consciousness of not understanding that connection. <sighs> I need you to talk. So can, I'm trying to read my notes. I'm trying to read my notes. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I, since we're coming to the end, I did want to make a point that, yes, we did focus a lot on whole food, plant-based, and veganism. But if you're a meat eater and you're still with us, congratulations. But I would like to tell you, that's fine. If you need to eat meat, eat it. But just be very selective about what you're eating, especially dairy products like or pasteurized milk. Very bad for you. A lot of butters, not very good for you. You have to read the ingredients. Know where your food is coming from. That's always a big, important source. And just be more selective.
0: Thank you for giving me a gap. You're welcome. (laughs) So she brings up this point that without awareness, without consciousness, there is no choice to be had because you just don't see that there is a choice. And this brings up the idea that you were never asked as a child if you wanted to consume animals. It was only ever just expected of you. Like, it's just the way it is. It's It's kind of
1: interesting you say that because a lot of people consider having your child a vegan child abuse.
0: Yeah, it's
1: I, a whole thing. But anyways, go on. <laughs>
0: yeah, I see. It's not. It's less crazy to be con- consuming dead animal flesh than yep. not. Um, this is. So she describes herself as having a paradigm shift, and I just like this description of a paradigm shift where you don't see different things; you see the same things differently. Yep. I thought that was a, just good. a yeah. great way to put it, and. This gets into what she calls the belief system of carnism. And again, anything I'm about to say here, you can replace the word carnism with government or authority. The And she calls the belief system of carnism the invisible belief system that conditions us to eat certain animals. Because, again, we don't eat all animals, only certain animals. Carnism is a dominant ideology, an invisible entrenched system that shapes beliefs, behaviors, norms, and laws. What does that sound like? Mm-hmm. And it's a violent ideology—an ideology that is organized around violence. You cannot have meat without killing. This is that why that, that whole idea of humane meat is a contradiction. It was humane all the way up until you killed, killed it. it. It doesn't matter how good you well, treat that, it. The that's income. been
1: my—I would love to know a good source, a good history as to when the human population started eating meat, because our aunt like way way back, it was all about gathering. It, I'm not sure when hunting came into the picture or when doing domesticated livestock became a real thing. i It would I'm be nice sure. to know. I,
0: I know people are all into studying bones and feces. Yeah, it would all just that, be ob- interesting older... to get
1: a comprehensive history on that. But good luck because <laughs> I've been looking for a while.
0: Uh, she describes, so with carnism, we're dealing with a dominant violent ideology and dominant violent ideologies use a set of social and psychological defense mechanisms to enable human people, humane people, to participate in inhumane practices without fully realizing what they're doing. Again, what does this sound like? It sounds a lot like government to me. The military. And the, yeah, all of it. Carnism teaches us how not to feel. Again, that disconnection from the plate to animal. Uh, how, so we were kind of referencing this a little earlier and I kind of wanted to save it to now, but really think about how many animal body parts you see everywhere. You see these body parts everywhere. You know, animals are being killed. How many animals have you seen of these farmed animals? Have you seen this week, this month, this year in your lifetime? How, I I haven't seen any of these farmed animals yet. I see their, their, I see their carcasses plastered everywhere. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't that be a sign to us that there's something off here, that this is such a concealed hidden thing, but that's part of this this illusion, this deception of these of these violent ideologies. So, even though we're seeing the bodies everywhere, we're not seeing this. This was also interesting. Have you heard of this? The Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act? No. The act uh, that one who has committed the federal crime so You are committed of the federal crime of terrorism if you engage in any activity that may reduce the profits of an animal enterprise. (laughs) So I assume this was a direct uh, counter to all the eco people because the eco people used to be big back in the day. They were doing stuff. So now if you go mess with animal agriculture in any way, you're going to be slapped with a a terrorist charge. Of course. (laughs) So again- To all these people saying, you know, the new world order. I think the new world order is the death and ritual sacrifice of meat. Uh, Again, I I had talked about that cow story. I just, you know, animals. They do think. They feel. They have emotions. They have social lives. Are they at the same level of us? No. But are they beings? Are they alive? Do they have sensations? Do they have emotions? Do they have thoughts? Absolutely, yes. Which is also why chances are you have been impacted in your life by an animal at one point or the other. Mm-hmm. There, At some point in your life, you have had a connection with an animal most likely. And what we must do here is, con- and as what we're doing on this podcast as a whole of talking about authority and government and everything, is you need to make the invisible visible. Because only once the invisible becomes visible then can people actually start to be confronted with with what they're actually participating in and this is why she actually says you know cuz every like we were talking about nowadays everyone's always like well I get organic grass-fed you know they're justifying right and she said that's actually a good thing because in the past it was never even brought to justification justification is the result after the illusion in, in in the in what is hidden becomes unveiled unveiled it It then is resorted to justifications of well I eat organic and I eat humane meat I you know and all and all that stuff so that she says that's actually a good sign and I talked about this in in my taxation video but another another part of this like we talked about is the government subsidies a lot of these animal agriculture businesses would not exist no, the way they are. most of them would not and exist. from my understanding, it's one of the craziest uh, private places that government money gets put, that our tax money goes to. Mm-hmm. And so again, taxation will take someone who holds a certain belief and will do something with that tax money that goes against a person's belief because well, the government can do something with your money that you would not support yourself. Uh... And we're all victims of this invisible ideology of carnism. Like if you we were talking about the factory workers who work in these horrible, not only just seeing all the death, but the actual literal working conditions are often uh, the meat packing industry. And those those slaughterhouses are viewed as some of the absolute worst places to work. Mm-hmm. And most of the people working there are people who don't have other options.
1: Yeah, they're most of them are illegal aliens in this yeah. country.
0: Yeah. Not only does it affect them, it affects our planet Earth, and it affects our own hearts, health, and mind. So I highly recommend checking this out because just the way she describes carnism as this pervasive ideology, it was just incredible. And, oh, I guess <laughs> I was ready to wrap up and there was a little bit more of notes. She just was... Uh, I watched the video. She was just talking about, you know, the the typical meat eater justifications of eating meat is normal, natural and necessary. I just want to talk about this because this applies again to government, authority, military, anything. You know, when you talk about what is normal, normal is the dominating beliefs and behaviors of a culture. Yep. That's all you're really referring to is what is by the dominant uh, culture. And right now, meat is the dominant culture. And that's why. You're ridiculed or asked questions if you just eat a salad instead of a burger. And another example of that was that it's not an opt-in type of thing. You know, as a child, you're typically just expected that it's normal to just eat dead animal flesh. Natural, Natural is only the dominating culture's interpretation of history. It's just whatever they want to rewrite it as and whatever they want to identify it as. So we're not going to refer to all of human history, but we're only going to refer to carnistic history or we're not going to refer to all of human history. We're only going to refer to history of humanity that has government involved in it, like that kind of stuff. You're only looking at a small section. And by looking at that small section, you can justify your current practices. And necessary is only what is necessary to maintain the dominant culture. Again, I thought that was just... Fantastic stuff of, and again, you can apply that to way more than just this ideology of carnism. Uh, and to end this up here, you know, carnism is the mentality of domination and subjugation, of privilege and oppression, turning someone into something. We talk about animals as it's to reduce a life to a, into a unit of production, uh, You know, I've seen this quote in documentaries, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlefields, Leo Tolstoy. Yeah. And this ideology is that of a might makes right mentality that makes us feel entitled to to wield complete control over the lives and deaths of those with less power just because we can feel justified because they are only savages, Negroes, women, animals. So we we view them as lesser and because we have more power over them, we feel that we can exploit them just because we can. All right. All right. All right. I'm losing my voice.
1: Um, it's been a long podcast.
0: So there was a lot to talk about with food. I'm sure we missed stuff. Uh obviously you could hear our own personal interpretations. Uh but again, I think there was far more there that we should all agree on than disagree on. Yeah. And you can listen to a little bit of vegan propaganda because I gotta listen to carnistic <laughs> propaganda all the time. So I feel like that was a fair exchange. Um, so you have choice, you're responsible for your health. Uh next podcast we're gonna talk about pharmaceutical industry. That'll be another a really long big, big one. Big <laughs> one. Uh, but it'll tie in really well to this because again, all everything we talked about today, uh If you don't accept responsibility for your health, you don't do the proper actions and eat the proper foods, you are going to end up the victim of the medical industrial complex that we'll talk about next week. All right. Remember, everyone, you are what you eat. Do you have anything you want to say? Yep. Change your diet. Change your life.